I think, are we rolling? I think we are. Let's, uh, all right, I gotta figure out how I'm gonna do this. I'm holding the road H1N, $100 on Amazon in my hand. I gotta put this in my pocket somehow. Hooked up to a road uh, lavalier bullshit thing that I've had since I was 15 and never used because I didn't know how to fucking use anything. Finally found a purpose for it. Um, okay, this is weird. I shouldn't really, I probably shouldn't talk during this part. I just left my house and this is residential. It's like 11.50 p.m. I probably shouldn't be talking right now. But I think I'm keeping it at a decent volume. I usually, I try and, I told myself if I'm gonna do this thing, God, I hope that isn't too loud. I hope you can hear what I'm saying. That car just passed by, that was pretty loud. We'll have to see. I really don't know what this is going to sound like. This is a real big test. But uh, I, re I wanted to keep my talking bit to when I get to... There's a certain bit by my house. It's kind of go up a hill, and then I go down a little bit, and it's in this kind of industrial area. There's some buildings. The I, There's the drum company, Remo, and they have like their headquarter building there. And I kind of walk in that area because there's no one around, so I can kind of talk as loud as I want. But I, I felt weird not starting this right at the beginning. Like right when I start my walk. Which is hopefully going to be like seven miles. Maybe less. We'll see. I'm already out of breath. How am I already out of breath? This is ridiculous. I walk uphill. I walk at an incline of like 10%. And I'm already fucking... <sighs> this is going to be the most breathy podcast in the world. Okay, uh, let's see. I'm debated what I want to talk about. I don't know if I just want to keep it to movie shit, or shit I don't know anything about, like, everything else. But, uh, I don't know, maybe we can take this time to figure that out, if I collect my notes. I kind of wrote some stuff down, just things I watched this week. I keep a list, kind of a log of everything I watch on the Notes app, which is dangerous because if I lose this phone, all those notes are gone. <laughs> I really need to back them up. They go back to sometime 2019. I think I started keeping track right around my birthday, 2019. That's when I really got into like trying to watch a lot of movies. That summer I did really good because I was watching like three movies a night, I think at least. And it was kind of fucked up because I'd be watching them. I'd start them like actually right now. Something about like 11 p.m. till 4 a.m. is my favorite time to get do anything. I can't have like no attention span during the day. And it's like when everything's off and no one's fucking doing anything, I can, <laughs> that's when I can focus. It's so bad. Excuse me. I oh, God, I shouldn't do that either. That's like so, oh, this is going to be gross. Okay. But I started watching movies then and I watched like three a night and I do it in the living room. And I use my wireless headphones. And so I probably shouldn't have been doing that because I'm watching like fucking classic Scorsese movies with fucking shitty wireless headphones so I didn't wake anyone up. But you know, you do what you gotta do. I think that's what I'm gonna do. Every time a car passes, I'm just gonna kinda take a break, at least for this first one, so I can review how it sounds and then we'll know if we're good. I don't know. Okay, where was I? This is, this is bad. I had a podcast before this with my brother. The Misdirected Podcast. And we looked at like 
the worst movies, not the worst, but movies that are considered the worst or the weakest or for some reason controversial in really great directors, filmographies. And that was a really, really structured one where it's like, watch the movie, take a bunch of notes, scroll through all the IMDb, Wikipedia shit, watch a bunch of YouTube videos, click clips. And I was like, this, it's impossible to do that here. I mean, I'd be on my phone half the time. Like, I, this is really going to be one of those, it's going to be like Diet Bill Burr, except instead of being funny and a redhead, I'm just a redhead. He's not even a redhead anymore. He's fucking bald. So it's nothing. It's nothing like it. Okay. Let's see. Let's start with, okay. You know, fuck it. Let's start with what I just literally just watched. I finished it like 15 minutes before I went out. Uh, I watched two Richard Linklater movies today on the Criterion channel, which is the best thing ever. It's fucking amazing. It's like a hundred bucks and I split it with someone. So it's like 50 bucks a year. That's like the cost of two Criterion Blu-rays. And you know, you're getting hundreds a year. It's like, who, what, what are they even making the DVDs for anymore? I mean, I get it, but it's like, who would buy them? Smart people, probably. Okay, so I was watching two Richard Linklater movies. It was both a part of the Slacker Criterion edition, which is technically, people think it's his first one, but it's technically his second because he had one called It's Impossible to Learn to Plow without, with re, by Reading Books. What is it? I should fucking know. I just watched it. Uh, and I don't have the fucking title written down because I'm a really smart guy. Something about plows and fucking them or something. Let's see. Anyway, it's, it was, so it was really interesting because that one was his first film. Okay, it's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books, 1988, but he started filming in 86. So it took him like two years to make it, and he did it all by himself on 8mm. And literally the whole movie is just him, and it's all static shots because no one can be fucking holding the camera. And it's just him being a guy who just like literally wakes up, guy calls him, says, hey, you want to hang out? Okay. And then he goes on a train and fucking goes all the way to hang out with this guy, hang out with him. Gets on a train to come all the way back, goes see his grandma, walks around, does his laundry. Guy gives him the tape. He listens to it. He go. He leaves his apartment. And he listens to some guy on the side of the street playing a guitar, and then it ends. It's like literally nothing. Like no other movie, aside from like really avant-garde art shit, you know, is that nothing happens. It really, truly is nothing happens, and. It doesn't work. It doesn't really work. And it's, I don't think it's supposed to because that movie I don't think ever really technically came out except on this Criterion release, like in 2004 or something. But I really think it was just an experiment because that's what it feels like. It's just like, let me, I'm assuming the way he was looking at it is like, let me just try and make something. And it's honestly one of the best self-made movies because it really is, it's it kind of reminiscent, I guess, of Bo Burnham's insight in the sense of like all static shots one guy's doing it all by himself. And it's cool because like he, he finds, kind of like how Bo Burnham does it, but in a very different way. He finds unique ways of making the static shots work. Like the best example is he's, when he's on the train. Fuck, am I getting too quiet? I feel like I'm like whispering. <laughs> like, like some like ASMR fucking thing. Because I'm passing my house and I'm really worried. Also, I keep, I keep almost burping. It's awful. That's what happens. I start walking and then it just like starts coming up. Ugh, I'm so sorry. Please don't listen to this if you hate me. So he, what is it? So, okay, he's on the train, and the whole half of the movie's on this freaking train. 
But uh, he does this cool thing where he'll shoot it from one cart and then it'll be him passing through the two carts, right? And because they are only connected by like a little chain in between, they sway at different times. So one will be moving more to the left while one's moving more to the right. And so it creates this cool effect, kind of like uh, 2001, where it's like one part in the background is moving differently in the front. And it's like really cool. And it's like, it, it looks like a more impressive shot than it really is because it's just him seeing the opportunity. But he just put camera one place and it was just doing that. And it's it just like, even though not, truly nothing happens, at least it's like visually interesting. He finds a lot of ways to do that at least. And so then I watched that one and I don't really, you know, I have a lot of opinions of it. I feel like if I watched it again, I'd find more in it. But it really is kind of, the idea of the movie is more interesting than the movie itself. Like he really went and said, you know, I'm just going to make a fucking movie about me doing a thing. It's like someone says, no one wants a fucking movie about a guy going to get some milk. He literally made the movie about a guy going to get some milk and then coming back. Uh, and it works just about as well as that sounds. But he did it. He's the guy that did that. And that's cool. And I'm sure if he had never made another movie again in Austin, he would have been like some cool underground guy who like back in the 80s did that. And like it made possible for another guy to do it better. But actually, he is the guy that did it better. <laughs> because in 90, 90, actually, yeah, 90, and I think they started filming in like 89, he made Slacker, which is kind of the same idea of his first one, but it's multiple characters, it's a lot of dialogue, um, but it's still just day to day. We're going from here to there, but instead of one guy's journey, it's multiple journeys across one day. Oh my God, I'm getting out of breath. This is so bad. Don't try and talk while you walk. Who thought this would be a good idea for a podcast? This is fucking stupid. Okay, so Slacker was amazing. Holy shit, it was amazing. I've seen a lot of Linklater stuff. I've seen the Before Trilogy. I saw Boyhood. School of Rock, of course seen a good amount of them and there's more I've seen that I just can't remember off the top of my head but I was not expecting it to be so good because it's $23,000 it's a first movie technically because you know the other one didn't get released like you, you know you hear that from like El Mariachi and Clerks and like those movies are amazing but like you can definitely feel the budget restraints and the creativity required but this fucking if you would have told me this was made for a million dollars, I would have said, of course it was. It's really impressive. Just the tapestry he creates with all these characters merging together in, in single shots is like he's fucking Robert Altman with an unlimited budget and, you know, the biggest stars of the 70s, how it feels like. These, he's got non-professional actors that are fucking, they like, world-class. There's no way they're non-professional because they are so... Fucking good. Oh my god, a deer. Holy shit. There's a deer walking up the little hill. Hey, buddy. Man, I thought I was going to see coyotes. I always see coyotes out here when I'm walking. I was really freaked out about that, but this is a nice surprise. This is a good sign. Hello. I don't want to scare him off. He's really skinny. Maybe he's a doe. Or she's a doe. That's nice. That's really nice. I was worried about this. I was worried I was going to see a coyote. I had to turn around. This, this is a good sign. This means I should keep going. Um, okay, yeah, it's just 
It's incredible. I think I'm just gonna say spoilers completely. I'm not gonna, movie's 30 years old, and also spoilers for everything I talk about. Like, I don't care. I'm gonna talk about a bunch of new stuff, and, and no one's listening anyways. It doesn't matter. So, what's incredible about Slacker is how, I think he, he said it best. And I watched some intro thing he did. It's, he said it's in the film, nothing happens, but it's on the verge of happening. And it's like, ah, oh, man, once you're locked in on that idea, it's like, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's like, it's almost like uh, the best short film where instead of it being about a character, it's like how a lot of great short films are about a character's most important moment in their life. It's almost like these are always the moments before the moment of a short film. It's like the lead up to a short film or in some cases it's, it's half a short film but it all works together to under the one cohesive idea of slacker itself and i don't think that was originally the original title i think it was something else unrelated but uh whether it's his idea to change it or someone else's it was genius because it really makes a cohesion to it all of what it all means because i mean to me it just seems like it's all an examination of what a slacker is what that term means in multiple ways because we see all these different characters and they're all kind of the same umbrella idea, but they all come out of different ways. It's a bunch of people that either, you know, you have the slacker who's the shady businessman, like we get with the pap smear woman who's fucking hilarious, or you get with the guy trying to sell people the Nelson Mandela, free Nelson Mandela shirts, or you get it with uh, the guy trying to sell, um, I don't know if he's selling the TVs or he's just trying to, he's doing something with those TVs. But it's just like, you get that element of it, where it's just like, you know, someone's just a little off, and they're just relentlessly, or, or technically the guy who's talking about JFK and the guy who's talking about us on the moon. They're, they're trying to sell you their ideas, and they're trying to sell themselves as these great thinkers, and you're like, you know, I've, I've met so many people like that, where they come down the street, and they just want to talk. They want to get something from you. And then there's the slackers who are real, just what you think of as a slacker, which is, you know, haven't had a job in 10 years, kind of just living dollar bill, dollar bill, crashing around because, you know, it, you're, the cool, you're the cool friend who's just kind of didn't have to figure it all out. You know, he's just, and everyone likes you, but you know inside you're kind of a fucking loser. But you can't, you can't admit to that because then you're going to lose your friend group, you think, because you think they only think you're fucking cool or they only think, you think they only like you because you're cool. And you can, like, man, like, that's especially with his, uh, with, uh, well, a little bit with the, his actual character that he plays in the beginning, the guy on the bus, or coming from the bus, it was just, like, you know, it's really interesting, because, like, you can find yourself, ex I mean, except for, I think, the salesman characters who are just fucking way out there, and <laughs> if you relate to them, I don't think you'd really get the movie, because they'd be too fucking self-aware, and those guys are not self-aware at all. But I think he comes at it from so many angles. And also, of course, there's the slacker of the older guy who says he was in the Spanish-American War. And kind of another element of that, of like trying to present yourself as something else, as, as hiding under this guise of trying to invent, holding for cars, trying to invent this persona, you know, or, or invent ideas to protect yourself. Like his, his uh, guy, you know, who left the bus, the first character tries to invent this whole idea of, of uh, different realities branching off. And it's like, oh, if I had just done that version, I'd be okay. I would have been with a woman that would have gotten married to me and I would have been in her apartment. It's like, you always think, no, 
it's not my fault I'm here, it's the universe. Or on the other side, you try and invent yourself as someone who actually is fucking Harley Davidson motherfuckers. So loud, come on guys. I hate that. They're cool though. I just say I hate it because I can't ride that stuff because I'm too much of a baby. I was gonna say the other word, but you can't say that. Not the, not that one. Not the one that's really bad. The other one. I just, my mom doesn't like that word, and I, I wanted to hear this podcast. <laughs> the one that starts with P, okay? Not the other one. Or the other one, if you're thinking the other one, too. But yeah, I don't know. It's like uh, the idea of hiding yourself within this word soup of whatever pontification or just pseudo intellectual ideas it's like all of them do it and so it's just varied ways and it's like man how can one guy because I mean I mean I'm assuming he must have collaborated with the actors a bit but like it's like he took every every stereotype you have of, of what Austin is but he made it show he made us see that it's real because he's actually there and this must be the people he saw on the fucking street all the time you know for 30 years and the people he bumped into maybe even people he he was friends with and maybe even a lot of himself. And it's just like the outsiders, but what you realize is that everyone there is an outsider and they all feel alone when if they just kind of took a second, like it seems maybe he did with his home, and really see them for what they are, you can see the correlation of all of them and how they all have something in common within just you know who they are, not necessarily their opinions or their beliefs that's the same thing what am i saying <laughs> or their um their identities their politics or whatever it's just who they are fundamentally slackers that's f- fucking cool i don't know like I, that's just such a hard thing to do to like write that many characters and have such cohesion and be fucking 28 when you do it i mean that's hard for fucking people to do when they're in their 50s that's hard for anyone to do and you can do that off the bat go fuck yourself man Damn, that's so annoying. But I loved it. It was amazing. Oh, my God. And also just, like, visually, such amazing camera work. And, again, the the, the blocking and everything. Really, really Altman-esque. Like, who the fuck? What are you saying? God. i got to call myself out every time I do that bullshit. Oh, Altman-esque. Get the fuck out of here. But it's really, really reminiscent of that. Because it's like, you know, this amazing mosaic of just characters moving in and out and does they have the confidence to do that at you know with I, I'm not, that's my thing is like I've worked with people when I've made my own like short stuff nothing good like nothing like this of course but it's like I need that that trust to be like I can trust a person to pull that off because remember he's in that first scenes he's in front of the camera you know he's he's not behind the camera you can't see what's going on so to have the trust with a team to pull off something that big and trust everyone to do that that takes a lot beyond just being able to do it your you know do it yourself to actually have the idea and accomplish it that freaking car shot where the woman gets hit by the car and then it pulls back and it pans over is just that's what i'm talking about when it feels like a million dollar movie because it's just they took twenty thousand dollars of equipment but they knew how to use it Fuck, it, it feel, even, Ter- even Reservoir Dogs didn't feel as professional as this. And maybe it wasn't meant to because it's a really gritty movie. And this isn't really gritty in that same sense. But it just felt so beyond 
And of course, I say that, but there's literally a shot where the two characters are walking and a boom mic <laughs> just like dips in for a second. And I can't, I mean, I guess maybe they only had the one take that they could do. And they're like, this is what we got, man. We ran out of time. Or he's just cool. And he's like, ah, it makes it human or some shit, which makes him sleep at night because he, <laughs> instead of saying I fucked up. But it's, I don't know. Even with that, it's like, it's part of the charm, man. The movie itself is kind of a slacker in a sense. It's like, you know, it's just trying. It's, it's putting on this, literally, oh, oh my God, I'm a genius. Holy shit, I'm a fucking genius. No, it's totally putting on a facade of a, you know, million to five million dollar movie with nothing. It's got $30,000. It's like this guy who's like, yeah, man, I'm in this fucking band and we're doing cool and I'm hanging out, but I got a bum $3, <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, you know, you're acting like you got 10000 in the bank, but you got thirty. Same thing. So you get thirty thousand dollars, but you act like you got a million. So it's like it's, the, it's that charm, and even like there's like the steady cam sequences, and like it kind of gets out of frame a little bit, and it's a little wobbly. It's like it's all part of the charm. It's like it's reminding you, yes, it feels like it, but it isn't. It's still, you know, it's still human. They aren't pros yet. It's cool, man. I mean, I hope I feel the same way tomorrow. I love doing that. I used to get down on myself about that, where I'd be like, I rate a movie like 10 out of 10, or like 8 out of 10 or something. And then a few days later, I'd be like, ah, you know, it's actually like 6, or it's actually like 7. And I feel like, ah, and you're lying to yourself, like don't jump so quickly. But I think it's cool now, it's like, if you have that initial gut reaction, seeing where it transforms a week later, that's kind of cool than just reserving. And then also, you're not really talking about the movie then. Like, if you don't have... I hate it when I'm with someone and they don't have that like discussion after a movie where it's like you gotta fucking talk about the thing like what just happened I mean what did you just experience and going beyond just like oh I like this or that like really get into like your opinions like what's the point of fucking seeing the thing you know that's why that's kind of one of the reasons I'm doing this it's like I watch so many movies alone because people just aren't interested in watching them with me sometimes or I just can't because like, I'm watching them at, <laughs> at 10 p.m. and everyone's like yeah I want to fucking bed down man but it's like, you know, if you can't talk about it right after, what's the point? You're missing, you know, movies aren't meant to be discussed three weeks later. I mean, they can be, but they're really meant for the moment, just like how the entertainment is meant for that moment. You don't watch a movie so you can be entertained three days later. You watch it so you can be entertained then, you know? And I think part of the entertainment is the conversation you have after, you know? Just like how I'm sure people who watch sports will talk relentlessly about what they just watched. It's the same thing, you know? Or someone who goes to a concert will talk about how amazing the concert was and go through the set list. You're, going, you're doing the same thing. You're going through the scene list. Oh, this scene and that scene. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. I don't know. I don't know why people... I, too many times I've been around people and it's just like you go to the movie and you fucking talk for five seconds as you're walking out like, oh, I can't believe they did that. That was so great. The ending was so cool. And then you just, you're done and you get in the car and someone puts on a fucking song and you're like, oh yeah, you listen to the new Jay-Z? I'm like, bro, can we, is, why are we so ADD about what's, what, like, can we take a second, hold into this moment, discuss this and then move on? Like, why, it's a waste of $13, you know, if you're just going to throw it away like that, no matter what it is. If I fucking, is that a snake? No, we good. Fuck you step in your head, I swear to God, I'll do it, man. No, but, like, I was gonna, if I want to see Space Jam 2, which I might, I might do it, I'm debating, because I think it's on HBO Max, but if I'm going to that, even a movie that I'm assuming is bad, I don't know yet, could be good, but 
even something that's bad. I want to talk relentlessly about it because it's like, if it really is that bad, there has to be something in there to make it that way. And this sparks some, some kind of cool discussion. That's why I got a friend who I talk to all the time and like he's the one guy I can really count on to be like engaged in it with me. And every time I go to meet with him, it's like, we're on it. And actually that's a perfect segue to, fuck it. What do I want to talk about next? But that, okay, well, first off, that's Slacker. I think I was rambling a lot, but like really incredible, really incredible movie. I think it's fucking probably a masterpiece. And not just like, a, oh, that's a good first film masterpiece, like really a masterpiece. Maybe I'll talk about it again another time when I really think about it more. But yesterday I went and saw the Anthony Bourdain. Was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. I watched the Anthony Bourdain documentary, which I had really, really been looking forward to all year. Like ever since they announced, I think it was like back in April or March or something. I've really been looking forward to it because I love Anthony Bourdain. Parts Unknown was my shit. It sucks because I didn't get into it until I was like 17. And then he dies like, whatever, a year or two later. And I'm like, fuck, I just, you know, that's happening to so many people. And it's like, oh, boo-hoo for me, like the guy's dead. But it's like, it really just sucked to like miss out on that because everyone else gets to have these discussions about me. I was into him for, you know, he saved my life 20 years ago. I'm like, I want that, you know? I just be like, yeah, I've seen parts of no one. That's literally it. I've done nothing else. I look like a tool. But uh, he really just rocked my shit. Oh my God. That guy can talk, man. Could talk. It was incredible. Just, it was just like freewheeling journalism. It was like so cool. There was no agenda. It was just like whatever he felt. It's almost like he was riffing off the cuff. And of course he was writing it all down, but it really was just like no one had a way of just connecting his actual thoughts to, and not just like feeling like a stream of consciousness, but like really taking them and molding them into something that actually has like an, a structure to it and really means something is every episode. Amazing show. I still haven't watched the last season because it, it kind of just hurts too much. I mean, I just don't know if I can do, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't cry or anything because I don't cry, which is a whole, that's a whole another conversation I could have, but I really don't cry much. But I just think it just like, each episode would just be so hard to sit through and make an hour long thing feel like five hours because you're just like holding on every thing he says because you know once it's done that's it there's nothing more there's nothing left of him except until this documentary which I thought was absolutely fantastic and it, I was so worried because there was all this controversy about using an AI to replace his voice and there was a lot of confusion about what that it meant and really after watching it which I think you know don't fucking read about the thing watch it and then make your opinion which I, I mean, again, you can get the debate of, well, should you support it with money if you don't, you know, don't agree with it? All right, that's fair, but watch it when it's free on site. I think it's on HBO Max. Fucking watch it on HBO Max. Then you're not technically kind of supporting it, really. You're giving it like a dollar. But when you watch it and you see the context in which it's in, which is that everything he, his AI says was written by him. It's not like they're taking his voice and making him fucking do the B-movie script or something. It's literally, what they did was they had this kind of narration going through it of his voice. And a lot of it was actually snippets from interviews and from Parts Unknown and from uh, um, his other show, I can't remember the fucking name of, and I think as uh, audiobooks he's done. 
and they sit you on this beautiful narrative that's almost him just talking about his life and like almost from the other side. But because they are <laughs> stitched together, certain words don't fit properly and certain phrases won't fit properly. And they use this AI to fill them in and they said you won't notice them at all. I think that's fucking cool. It makes, it gives us something we could never get before in any other media, which is like having the dead person talk to us directly. And yes, they are interpreting what he's saying, but it's not creating a new context. It's all things he has said of himself. It's just stringing them together in a more cohesive way. Now, <laughs> the one area in which there is an issue, I think, is the one section where it's really blatant that is the AI, in which it's, it was, um, I think it's David Cho, uh, the graphic, not graphic artist, he's the artist, had an email from him that Anthony wrote him and they kind of have him saying it at first, like David Cho, like, this is the email. Hi, David, I blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of morphs into Anthony's voice for like a, like half a sentence. It was maybe six seconds that they have him speak in that. And everyone's up in arms about that. Like, he never said that. That's not his real voice. That's not the way he would have said it. The man said it. He wrote it in an email. That's not the issue, I don't think. I don't think the issue is is the is the, uh, the AI aspect of it in that line. I think the issue more, if you want to make it an issue, which I don't, I think I can get past it because I think knowing Anthony Bourdain from this documentary, or at least the interpretation of him and from people close to him, he seems like the kind of guy that would have, one, been super fucking interested in that, in that technology and what it can do, and two, you know, felt what he said is what he said. And I don't think he was an apologist. And, uh, and as long as you were representing him accurately, which I think they did, there's nothing in there that they're like making him say, you know, I supported Trump or some bullshit like that. Or like stitching it together, like uh, Real Housewives style to like make it, like he said something he didn't, you know. But the issue with that section specifically is that it was an email that he sent to David Cho at a really dark moment in his life. And I don't think it's something he ever intended anyone to hear or read beyond David Cho. And it's the same th question you have to ask yourself. Well, this is a stretch. This is going to be like, oh, what the fuck are you talking about, Skyler? That's not, not related at all, but kind of. Uh, the Diary of Anne Frank. Did her dad have the right to help publish her interpersonal thoughts in the most horrifically tragic, well, I guess you'd say after the book is more horrific for her, but some of the most intense and depressing and existential moments of her life that she documented, did, did he have a right? Would she have wanted that? It was a diary. I don't think she would have. But, you know, Van Frank, it's so culturally important now. It's like, of course, it, it just must be. It can't not be. We can't go back. And even if we could, it wouldn't be right to because of how important that document is. But no one was up in arms about, you know, what would Anne think of that. And I think it's the same thing here. It's like, I, you know, it doesn't matter what he would think. It matters what the intention was. Was it malicious to, for them to read it out? Was what he said something he hasn't said publicly in other words? I mean, I think that the, what the sentence he wrote was something like, uh, hey, you're successful, I'm successful. Are you, how, why do we still feel shitty? Or like, why do we still feel bad? Or something like that. 
But it's like, he's fucking said that things on his show about like, I'm so successful yet I'm still so depressed. Like it's nothing new. If anything, it was just more of a reveal of his cry for help in a sense, which we already knew he did because other people had said it. It's just now in his own words. So again, I think the point, while it's an interesting discussion, the way I've rationalized it is in that way. It does, back to the question, did he actually, you know, was it right for Morgan Neville to do this and not disclose it? I don't know, that's another question. But I think the film itself stands. Um, does the filmmaker stand as much? I mean, it's kind of like the Michael Moore question, you know, fucking Bowling for Columbine's a masterpiece, but does how he made that film and the things he kind of did stand? I don't know. Does it affect the film? I don't know. I know that this probably affects the Roadrunner's chances at the Oscars for sure. I just don't see a way they still win unless the Academy's just like, ah! The critics seem to be that way because it's still got like an 80 on Metacritic or whatever. But okay, that's the controversy. The film itself, when you actually watch it, it's fucking amazing. It's, it's so good. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. it they just take... They take his... I mean, they take a guy who's been filmed for like the last 20 years of his life, every, 200 days out of the year. They take all this footage that you've either seen before... Or, you know, you just know from, like, you know, his life. Like, yeah, he was a chef here and he did all this stuff. And you think you know the guy from the shows and stuff, but then, like, you watch in this context with everyone talking about what was going on behind the scenes in those, in those episodes or in those videos, and, like, you find a, a different person. You really realize how little we fucking knew about Anthony Bourdain and how this guy who really seemed to be the most open host and the most open personality who just said it how he felt and was just himself wasn't at all. I mean, he was in, in the more general sense of like, yeah, this is how I feel and fuck you and, and his style and his personality. But like, there's a lot he held back. Like you think he got dark, but he was so much darker. And there's one moment that really hurt. It was towards the end. And, I mean, again, this is like making about me or whatever, but, like, it's fucked up. It's like they were talking about Parts Unknown, and it was one of the last seasons, and it was um, the episode they did in Hong Kong. And it, what fucked me up was they talking about it, and it's like how horrible, all the crew was like talking about how horrible that shoot was because it was this moment where everything before in the show had been, like, you know, letting real scenes and natural scenes be real and not interfering for the aesthetic of the show or for, you know, to make things look better visually or anything. And in this episode, because they had Chris Doyle, who was, you know, Wong Kar Wai, I hope I said his name right, uh, cinematographer, and Asia Argento, who, that's another discussion with her, but she's Dario Argento's daughter and a filmmaker. They were doing that one, and they're filmmakers, and they're controlling this episode. And what made me sad on two levels is, First, in relation to me, that's one of my favorite, maybe even my favorite episode of that show. And I think it's specifically because of all the reasons the crew hated it. And that makes me feel like shit. Because it's like, fuck, I thought I knew. I thought I was, I thought I was in lo- in the, on the right wavelength with this show. Clearly I'm not, because my favorite one is the least favorite of everyone else. So it's like, fuck, <laughs> maybe I actually don't deserve to 
to like this show because I, if I don't actually read it right, I should fucking rewatch it so I can figure it out. But uh, the other level is that he, you know, he reveals as he's filming it, he's like, this is the happiest I've ever been. I've, I've, I don't think I've ever smiled this much on this show. And it's like, fuck, you know, what does that say about what he was doing with the show before that, you know? Was, was that just a fraud? Not fraud, but was he just faking it and, and he never really wanted, you know, what does that mean? What is, if, if it's, if it's something that's so against what everyone else felt the show was, and he's saying it's his happiest, did anyone really know him? You know? Did the people who worked with him for 20 years really know what he liked or didn't like? Was this, you know... Man, it's scary. Because, I mean, how shocked everyone was that he killed himself is further proof to that, of just how little we really knew. And it's just terrifying, because it's like... How close do you have to get to someone to be able to know? Or how close do they have to get to you? Man. That was a rough movie. The first half was fucking great because it's his ascension. You're like, oh, what a, what a nice fellow. I hope nothing bad happens to this guy. And, you know. Oh, it was nuts. That second half really gutted me. I don't, again, I said I don't cry in movies. I wish I did. It sucks. I... Believe me, I've tried. I don't know what it is. I need to go to therapy, I think. But uh, this one got me close. It really, that's the thing. I don't cry, but I get emotional for sure. And this one almost got me. Just especially, I, I knew he had a daughter, but I didn't really thought about it until it's really put in your face. And it's just like, man, where do you have to be to leave someone that young? Someone you claim to, you know, provide for someone you claim to and that's that's con, not condescending that's fucking an asshole thing to say what do I know I don't have any fucking kids and say that he claimed he did he did provide for her and he did care for her and he did love her those are all truths but to take all that away from her you know I guess it's in his right as a human everyone has the right to end their own life or take their own life whatever's the better for cars. Man, I was on a good I was on a good string there. But you know, everyone has a right to that. But also, you know, when you have a child, do you morally give up those rights? What does it mean as a parent to take a parent away from your child? I don't know. But that's the thing. It's like people are what's amazing about the movie is it doesn't it isn't like a portrait of how, God, why is every car coming out right now? It isn't a portrait of a man and saying, oh, look how great he is. It really is a, first half is look at how great this guy is. Look at what you know. And the second half is like, let's, dis- let's dem- uh, not demolish that, but let's disassemble that and see if the pieces still fit back together again afterwards. And <laughs> in some places it does, but in others, you know, you're really fitting a, a square peg in a round hole. You know, and that's what I think the discussion should be on more is more on the man himself rather than the film. We can have both conversations, but it's really being clouded by this one small element when it should be really about examining ourselves in, you know, what we see in celebrities and what we actually know and maybe for us to be a little more observant or 
not so idolizing of people because we really don't know them. I think a lot of people saw a lot in Bourdain that maybe wasn't really there or was fabricated a bit to, you know, which is okay. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do to be a TV personality and that's a hard fucking job, but that's, I think this discussion should be more on the man rather than the film. I think the film should have been opening that discussion up instead because this really stupid choice they made, it's folding it back onto itself. You know, I think, I think if they had just done the AI stuff and it was just throughout the narration and they'd been like, hey, by the way, we filled in some lines in there with uh, AI. Oh shit, that's fucking cool. That's really interesting. But because they had to do that one line from the email, a section which, mind you, I personally don't think was that integral to the film. I still think, I still support it being in it. I'm okay with that. But like, if I'm the guy making the movie, that is, shit, something fucking scared me. What the fuck was that? Something made some noise in the fucking shrubbery. So I'm gonna kick something, I swear to God. Hope Peter doesn't listen to this. Peter, I'm sorry, but like it's self-defense out here. I'm in the <laughs> I'm in the bobcat territory. I can't I can't be messing around with nothing. I don't wanna die. Alright, I think we're good. But uh it is not the most impactful moment. I think this is that honestly is the most if if they had not said anything but the AI, I don't think I even would have it wouldn't even been top five parts of the movie I remember. Because it's really just rehashing something we already know. He's in a dark place and he's contemplating why his success isn't making him happy. We didn't need the email to get that. We knew that. And I think it was just, what is it, hubris? I don't know what that word means. Let me look it up. Let me see if it's hubris. Hubris? Hubris? Is that the word I'm looking for? Let me look it up. Hubris. Am I spelling it right? Oh, it's an I, not an E. I'm going to go back to school. Excessive pride or so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is it. Hubris. It is hubris. The comments be like, everyone's going to think I'm so cool because I did this AI thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking documentary filmmaking to another level. When you would, you would avoid so much. I think the film itself is pushing boundaries and how it examines celebrity and how it takes the idea of a, of a documentary examining a person's life. And it's usually, you know, some... Some of what they do to Bourdain's character in this is kind of what they do in, in documentaries of people that aren't good, about bad people. And I'm not saying they're making it out to make him a bad person, but they're really demolishing him. It's like, you don't do that in those kind of things, you know. If you're making a Dolly Parton documentary, you're not at all going to talk about, you know, the one time she didn't, you know, give money to a homeless guy. You're not going to do any of that shit because it's Dolly fucking Parton. And Bourdain seemed like the kind of guy you can't do that to because he's so beloved. But they made the choice to really be real and not just make a homage to the man's life but make a deconstruction. That is a new level in really AAA documentary filmmaking. The AI shit isn't. It's a cool tool that they should have sprinkled throughout instead of making one six-second moment that's supposed to be this big triumphant element of it and instead, or a display of it, And instead, it is six seconds that will, will probably lose them an Oscar. It is a bad choice. But I do not think six seconds, in this case, in some cases it could, of course. But in this case, ruins a, if not a masterpiece, masterfully done documentary that I fucking loved. I really, 
It was great. And I loved his other film too. I loved uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is like the opposite side of it. It's like a perfect yin-yang almost, where it's like Won't You Be My Neighbor is this film that's like, let's look at this great man who is beloved by all. And the fear going into that, if you don't know what the film is really, is, oh shit. That's, actually, that is the one you'd think they would do the, let's find the deep shit in this guy. What fucking things did, did Mr. Rogers do? What kind of fucked up shit? What prostitutes was he sleeping with? Did he really have the tattoos on his arm? You know, that's the kind of scary expose you think he's another Bill Cosby. And it turns out that the whole film is just so wholesome and delightful and just an examination of this man who really was all he cracked up to be and was honest. And it's so crazy that the thing I made that film would go to this person and do the exact opposite. And in fact, set you up into that, that idea that, okay, this is just kind of, kind of be a warm blanket film where, well, that's, I mean, not really because it's about a guy who kills himself, so you're already assuming the worst at the end, but kind of warm blanket of like, yes, we're just gonna learn some stuff we already knew about Bourdain, know how much everyone loved him, know how much he touched everyone. Of course he was a great guy. Of course he was beloved. Everyone says he's the best. He's the best. And then how, in the second half, you're like, oh, you fucking fucked up my world. And you totally just altered how I viewed all of it. And I didn't get that with Won't You Be a Neighbor, but it was still a masterpiece. <laughs> That's why it's so hard for me. Because Morgan Neville, I like really love. And he just made a really stupid six second mistake or however long it was, maybe it was longer, but like, again, it, I call it a mistake. It wasn't malicious, it wasn't intentional. But he made the mistake of doing it, and he made the mistake of not disclosing it in the film. That's the other thing. I think I was going on that night, one of my tangent. He didn't, at the beginning, say, you know, we, this film has a narration, elements of AI software we use to help recreate Anthony Bourdain's voice to ensure his memory, and to ensure a strong narrative, blah, whatever, they're better writers than me. You know, that would have been enough. Maybe even at the end, although you can't, because then it's kind of like the circus mentality, like we already got them in the door. That's kind of fucked up, and then at the end you reveal, you know, the lions aren't real or some shit. I don't know how that analogy works. That was a dumb analogy. That was stupid, I'm an idiot. There's a car coming. Let's just sit on my stupidity for a minute. Okay, so, great movie. I fully recommend it. And I'll probably get shit from people. And they'll be like, how could you? And I'll be like, because I'm a flawed human. And um, I don't have much longer to be allowed to say anything anyways. Because someone's going to just shut me up. So might as well say what I feel now. Okay. What else am I watching? What else do I watch? Oh, Loki. Loki Lucky. That was interesting. I have, I've had so many fucking conversations about what Marvel's doing with this TV thing. And there's so many things they're doing really, really great. And they're doing smart. And there's so many others that are just missing it. It's just missing it completely. The opportunities. I think what's crazy is that they've afforded themselves this position... Because they've already fucking won. Endgame was like a banger of all bangers. That is the pinnacle. It was 
car, the highest grossing film of all time for like a year. It will be again probably because fuck Avatar, but like you won in all ranges. Critically acclaimed, financially acclaimed, fan acclaimed. Everyone fucking loved it. Even if you didn't care for the Marvel movies, you're still like, yeah, that was the shit. You won. You don't have to please anyone anymore. You made all the money. And so you can still make the movies that are going to please everyone. Like this, you know, Spider-Man's and the, you know, uh, uh, Black, Black, uh, Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow, which actually isn't because it came out at the wrong time, but still it's intended to. But they missed the opportunity of the TV shows to really... Oh, and Falcon and Winter Soldier would be the TV show equivalent of that. But with mainly Loki a little bit, although they do kind of because they do fuck with some shit, which is cool. But especially WandaVision, they really missed a golden opportunity to just fuck up what Marvel properties mean, what a television series means, what a IP show means. Just what a sitcom structure means. I mean, all of it. Because what I would have loved and what I was hoping for with what we got with those first three episodes was to just go fully in. I, I was saying it was like the Kaufman way. Not Chuck Kaufman, Andy Kaufman. The Kaufman way. Of just like the joke is not acknowledging the joke. It's just the commitment to it fully and wholeheartedly. Those first three episodes where we really didn't break... Although maybe we did for a little bit in the third one. But even just those hints wasn't enough to really break us out of it. Being fully into that show and those episodes and being like, what the fuck is going on? Was incredible. And I think their worry was, okay, we can't let him, we can't keep it for too long. We got to explain some stuff. So that's where episode four came in. And they basically just gave us all the fucking answers in the most annoying way possible by having us, you know, oh, we're just going to go back to the first three seasons and have the, or the first three episodes and have the characters comment on it like they're watching the TV show. Fuck that shit. Oh my god. It's so pandering. No! You missed a golden opportunity to just stick into the show for eight whole episodes and make us be like, yep, you just gotta kinda sit through this. It's, this is what it is. It's fun. They would make it super fun and cool, but you're just watching the show. And then in the ninth episode, you do a two-hour version where it's like, now we fucking explain it. Now we give it to you. You know? They went the Twin Peaks route. The same thing with Twin Peaks. It's like, they had those first seven episodes. It was incredible. And then they're like, all right, guys, season two. You, you, you got to explain this shit. And they're like, no. Or same with, uh, not Lost. There was another thing where they had to explain it early. And it just ruins it. It totally flattens it. I guess not for everyone because a lot of people loved it. But for me, it just flattens it. I wasn't interested anymore because I was taken out of it. You brought me back in the real world. And I wanted to be <laughs> engaged in the what the fuckery. It was fucking cool. Those first three episodes were really cool. And I was so excited to see where it went. And it just got lame because only, you know, there was at points where only like a quarter of the episode was actually in Wanda's world and the rest was outside. And doing the most basic Marvel plot of I'm the guy who's leading this and I'm gonna, yeah, I'm taking control now. And then they're gonna, oh, we're gonna break out and take control ourselves and we're gonna do. Fucking, I've seen that in every Marvel movie. What I haven't seen is them go full on crazy where it's just like yep you're not gonna understand this at all and it's gonna be really weird and cool i want that i wanted that loki had the potential too to really do it but they had to stick to the structure and it was better i think in certain regards i think the six episodes works for it um love Dylan wilson i love the 
the flow. I think it flowed really well. Each episode kind of went to the next. Loki, it's funny. <laughs> WandaVision is the one that um, is more of a miniseries because I don't think they're going to go back to it. It was kind of its own thing. And Loki's the one that's supposed to have a second season and shit. But honestly, <laughs> Loki felt more like just a movie instead of a fucking TV show. I mean, each episode just felt like an act of the film. It just felt like a, like a five-hour movie, you know. Whereas WandaVision felt more like a TV show. And that one was more, in a sense, a movie because it was a miniseries. But uh, Loki had a good thing. I wish... I guess I'll just skip to the last episode because everyone's already talked about those other ones. I think they're all fine. I didn't love any of them particularly, but I love a lot of elements in them. I think it's funny how... Ob- it, the way they budget those shows is really obvious. And I sound condescending saying that, but fuck it. I'm punching up here, so it's okay. But uh, clearly, let's say each episode is a $10 million budget. You know, $100 million. No, what am I talking about? $20 million, because the whole thing would be like $200 million for each, or however, what is that? 20 times 6, 120. Maybe more. Fuck it. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm stupid. Anyways, there is so many scenes, especially in that show, where it's just like, yep, we're going to have eight-page dialogue between two characters, and we're going to keep the entire episode within three sets. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's how you do Marvel TV shows. You, you got to keep the episodes really, really contained. And they're cool dialogue scenes, but at a certain point, I'm like, yeah, you're just filling time here. You're just, you're going to have both Lokis talking on a fucking bus, or what was it, it was Hyper Train or some shit, and just go over, you know, what does it mean to be Loki? What are you? Who are you? What are you? Blah, blah, blah. And just have them talk it out instead of having a bunch of action, which I think people were more expecting at certain parts and it wasn't it was more talky which I'm usually cool with but it's like I don't know in certain cases it felt like filler you know but good filler because it was interesting and asked a lot of interesting questions um I think the idea of Loki wanting to fuck himself is cool you know falling in love with Sylvie or whatever um problem is again what they missed out on was actually doing it you know they do, right? They do, because they kiss in that last episode in the worst way. I hated it. The whole, we're going to fight and then I'm going to kiss you. And the, No, man, that's not how you do it. That's how everyone else does it. Why can't you do different, people? You have the opportunity. You don't have to follow the structure. You don't have to do it. Things could just not really, you know, work for everyone. It's okay. You don't need to make a billion dollars on all these. I get you do. Of course you do. Your business. But like... Kevin Feige, man, just be an artist a little more sometimes. You are an artist, but like be a little more of like a cool one that I support and just pander to me. Pander to me, please. That's what I want. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Just make them for me and how I like things made. You know, I'm the one that matters here. It's my fucking podcast. Fuck you. But, uh, you know, what do they do? They make her so different that she's almost not a Loki. I mean, her plight, not her plight, what am I fucking saying? Her, her quest is not really a Loki quest, the vengeance-filled one. You know, that's not Loki. Loki, at least to me, is the mischief. It's the, no, I want it for myself. I want to take something from someone that doesn't even, I I have no beef with the TVA, really. I mean, they took me to this place, and I guess he does, but, like, he just wants it because he wants the power in the beginning. Hers is, I want to fucking dismantle it for justice, in a sense. Hers is all justice-based. That's not Loki, right? So immediately, it's not really Loki. She has a different name, so they can say, huh? Loki's going to love himself. What do you guys think of that? Oh, isn't that cool? We're, we're different. But you're not really doing it. No, one can have an, no one's going to have a really interesting conversation in that one. What would be really fucking interesting, and I think would have been cool, 
is if it really was two Lokis. If it was Tom Hiddleston playing himself, playing himself twice, and they fucking make out. Oh my, would that not be the coolest fucking thing ever? Holy shit, Marvel did it. They went somewhere no one else has ever gone. They had not only an LGBT relationship in, the, in one of their shows, but it was, what do you even call that when it's a, someone fucking themselves? What, what, what is that? I don't know. What an amazing conversation we could have from that. But no, of course they can't. You know, China and Disney. It's just a shame. It's a shame that they're, you know, held back so much. I'm sure Thomas would have been game for it. I'm sure someone pitched it, and they can't do it. And it doesn't make what they did bad necessarily, but just for me, I'm like getting disinterested in it because I just know what to expect. I was calling everything they were going to do. I, know, I mean, everyone else was too. And that's also part of the problem is that we're all so clued into everything. You know, for the last 12 years, whatever, they have brain, not brainwashers, but they've really, really wired us into knowing exactly how Marvel works and what to expect based off context clues and what they are saying. And so we already know what the next three movies are going to be 100% without them even doing. You know, we know Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are going to hang out. We know it's going to be three Spider-Man. We know that they're going to have to fight Kang. It's only going to be one version of Kang. They're going to be introducing multiple versions of Kang in each one. And Wanda is maybe going to be a bad guy to work with Kang because she wants to find her kids and he's going to offer. We, uh, we know all this stuff. My suggestion is for Marvel to take five years off. Take five years off from the main shit after this, of course, because they have their plan now. But for phase five, take five years off and do some DC shit in that you make, oh, what would you call them? Side movies. It's like, yeah, it's kind of takes place in another multiverse and it's just something cool that's happening. And then we can get some cool fucking movies. We can get the, you know, Hulk versus Wolverine movie. We can get uh, the the uh, fucking uh, what's the one the, the Captain America bullshit. What does he do? He <laughs> he fucking does stuff. Whatever. You know what I'm saying. We can get cool standalone movies. And then when we've kind of forgotten what to expect, and they've gone away, and Kevin Feige's found. Okay, here's our new structure for these to, you know, do these reveals and to, to, to set up this universe and find a new way to tackle it that we won't be expecting every time. So many more people I feel will be refreshed and be like, oh, now we can get back into, it's almost like the MCU is restarting and it's still the MCU, but it's like fresh and we're not, we're not looking at the same way because of the multiverse and we're not clued into like, yep, expect all these characters to show up because... You know, we've been planning it that way, and that's what the marketing saying and all that. It's like, maybe fuck around with the marketing. Maybe be like, yeah, this character's in it. Oh, no, actually, we just did it in the trailer to throw you off. Fuck it. Like, that's the kind of shit I'm interested in. It might piss people off, but again, they've already made all the money. Fuck them. But they can't do that. They can't. This is a dream. This is a fantasy world. But I like to live in it sometimes because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel smarter than everyone else. And, uh... I need that because I'm worthless and uh, I, have, I have nothing. I, I'm not Kevin Feige, but I, uh, no, I don't want to be. No, fuck that. He's a genius and I'm not, so I can't be him. And also that's just, I don't want to get up at 6 a.m. and work till 12 a.m., which you have to do to do that job. It's nuts. His schedule must be insane. I do, I, 
look, I don't pity him, but I'm also like, I don't envy him to be in that position. But I, again, I just wish he just did his stuff the way I want him to do it and cater to me because I'm important. My $30 single-handedly financed uh, every Marvel movie. So, you know, I deserve, a little, I deserve a say is all I'm saying. Okay, that wasn't really about Loki. That was just me ranting about <laughs> what I wish it all was. But I still think it was good. I don't think any of them are bad. Falcon Winter Soldier is good. WandaVision was great the first three and then good. Loki's good. I guess it's just ever since Endgame, I just haven't had the same energy for any of it. Spider-Man was cool. That second one was cool. It, it was changing stuff up. It was doing some interesting things with our expectations. And I think the third one did that too. And it seems like Spider-Man's the only one that's really keeping me engaged. Which I'm so shocked to say because I, I really thought Spider-Man was dead. Like, I thought like they were doing... When, when they said they are going to do another Spider-Man, it was going to be Tom Holland. It was the third reboot. I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do to freshen this up. But they're, they're managing it. I'm excited for it. Ooh, my COVID test results are ready. I took a COVID test today because I went to Disneyland, which, hey, look at that. I'm not even trying, and I am, uh, I am slaying these, uh, what's it called? Transitions. That was a horrible transition. Maybe I aren't. Maybe I am not. I can't even say anything right. Aren't. I need to fucking get a tutor. I don't know how to speak Spanish. English. Why did I say Spanish? Why do I do that? I'll get on the train of fucking up. It's like I fuck up one thing, one word, and so then to act funny, I'll say some snide comment to like protect myself by making fun of myself first, and I'll fuck that up, and then I'll do it again, I'll fuck that up, and then I just look at me more of an idiot if I just like accept that I fucked up and let it slide, you know? Whatever. I'll learn one day. I keep telling myself that. I'm like, look, I'm not, I, I'm still young enough to where if I fuck up, it's okay, because I'm not expected to be cool I'm not like 35 yet you know once you're 35 you're kind of expected to be a person at my age I can still fuck up even though I'm so self-aware I feel like a lot of people that do that aren't really self-aware about it and then they become it's like I'm very self-aware about it but I hide under the gaze or the hide under the umbrella whatever that uh I don't and that you know if someone's like you're you're kind of a fucking asshole I'm like you know what I didn't realize that look I'm so young I don't you know because I'm an asshole negative fuck yeah Negative for that COVID-19. So I'm good. I can go lick some... I can lick some uh, gas pumps and uh, and uh, eat on top of... Uh, what's it, something dirty? Hospital floors. No, they're clean. Uh, gas station floors. No, that's gas station twice. I can lick gas pumps and eat off... Alcoholic Anonymous seats. That's fucked up. That one's not good. I'll think of... I'm, I'm negative. I tested negative, so I'm good. That's awesome. Okay. What are we looking at now? What, what are we at? What are we at? We're at three miles. Okay. How long have I... I've been doing an hour. This is going to be a long podcast, I assume. I think usually when I walk, it's like two and a half hours. Let me check how I'm doing with the recording. Still going. Still going strong. I gotta worry about that battery though. Hope I'm not ruffling up the sound too much right now. I would hate for that to happen. I got the sniffles. Okay. What are we doing? What have we been watching? I'm looking at Instagram acting like I'm looking up something to talk about. What? God, I'm a waste of space. Okay. 
what else have I been watching? I think, I'm, I think I've just said I'm going to avoid talking about any serious news. <laughs> At least for the first episode until I can figure out what my, my podcast voice is. So that way I don't come off like a total asshole. I'm like, yeah, you know, COVID's, COVID's bad, but it's, it's not that bad, guys. I mean, come on, there's worse things out there. I don't, I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't have a big enough fan base to support me whether I still get canceled or not. Can't do it. Um, Disneyland. That was awesome. I haven't been to Disneyland in a while. That's a privileged statement. Some people have never been there. Ever been there? Some people have never been there. I've been there many times. And it's fun. It's fuck. It's really, really fun. Um, they, they're very, very reduced right now. They didn't have any of the live shows. They didn't have the parade. They did have the fireworks, which is cool. Um, but, you know, it's COVID for you. And it was a bitch to get on some of those rides because they fucking had these virtual queues you had to do for the new Spider-Man ride and for the Star Wars ride. And so you had to be up at 7 a.m. to get into the queue. And I swear to God, literally three seconds after it's seven, they're already gone. And I luckily on the second day, because we did two days, because we're cool, because it was a birthday thing. I was like, hey, COVID birthday, let's you know do it up. Um, I got one for the Spider-Man one. And then the ride broke down <laughs> throughout the day. And so we were supposed to get on around 12 p.m. because like we're like 119th in line. And that was a group 119. So like, you know, we did it seven. They're like five hours later, you get to go on. We didn't get on until fucking six because <laughs> the ride broke down for three and a half hours. And that's a brand new ride. And, uh, and actually, we, we almost got taken off like three rides. We got taken off of Monsters, Inc., which is depressing because that's my favorite ride at Calvert Adventure. It's my second favorite movie ever. And it's one of my favorite rides just because it really, it touches a special place in my heart. And I know that it's uh, gonna be taken away soon. They're gonna be axing it because it's right in the heart of where they're planning to do their big Avengers campus area. They're totally expanding it. So that's gonna be gone soon. So I know I had to ride it. When I rode it, like three fourths way through, all the lights turn on and we stop and they had to escort me off. But it was okay because I've always wanted that to happen. I've dreamed about being escorted off a ride because I've always wanted to see what they look like and how they work. And it kind of is kismet that it was that ride, my, one of my favorites. And so if that's the last time I ever ride it, that's a good way to go out. And I was really disappointed though because we, then we did, uh, uh, on the second day we went on Indiana Jones again because we had done it the first day. And uh, right when we get, we were like right about to start the ride. We weren't even through. Like we had just gotten our, the, the, the uh, lap bar put down like, kind of thing. Why did I make the sound effect? Everyone knows what it sounds like. It's a horrible sound effect. What? It, okay, so that gets pushed down. And we're about to go and then boop, all the lights come on. Hey, we got a problem. And I'm like, damn it. Because I knew it was gonna happen. Five minutes later, a bunch of people start walking from the ride. Then we didn't get taken off. They just kind of made us wait until they restarted it. But I was like, oh my God, could you imagine if you got stuck on the bridge or stuck by the snake? And then they're like, you gotta get out. And then they walk you through the fucking ride. One of the scariest rides there. One of the biggest set pieces and you get to walk through it. How terrifying would that be? I would shit my pants and I would say thank you because that is better than the ride itself. Like you think the fucking snake and the fire is scary? No, seeing them not moving and seeing just how fake it is and yet how still giant and assuming it is, is scary. Like that's what I always wonder with like the people that build those rides, how like just creepy your job must be at times. You know, with some of those humongous fucking rides, especially people that have to like work on on a Splash Mountain. Like you know those fuckers are looking at you. 
it's scary. I've always had a weird thing about the Disney rides. They're so, it's just like the uncanny valley because they have so much emotion in them, but it's all fucking fake. It's all an illusion and it still gets you because it reminds you of something that felt real, but you know, it's different when it's on a screen versus right in your face and it's a 3D object. It's a 3D Peter Pan. You're like, this is something's, something's off here. This is weird, but it's great. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. I thought the Food at Avengers Campus was eh. I thought uh, the, um, what's it called? The, the, their family, the Monte Cristo was amazing. That's my favorite thing there. And it's like $20 and it's worth it because it's absolutely delicious. Um, that was, holds up. The Mexican restaurant that I don't remember the name of holds up for the food. All the rides hold up, of course. They're all amazing. Um, Although I had one idea that was really cool, which is uh, they have Space Mountain. And I think Space Mountain's fun-ass ride. It's really cool, love the music, it's really fun. But they did the Star Wars version of it. And that was fucking mind-blowing. Because it takes Space Mountain, which is just like this ride through space that doesn't really feel like it because all the projections are weird, so the space doesn't feel cohesive. It kind of feels like a bunch of projectors kind of crisscrossing over each other. But the Star Wars one had, you know, X, X-Wings moving and lasers blasting all over and you're diving in between and shooting them. And it's like, wow, there's really a fucking story going on here. This is sick. And the John Williams movie, as soon as you start the ride, and like it's blasting as you're loading up and holy shit, it's fucking awesome. And they only do it like once a year, like in, I don't know, like September to November or something. And I've only done it like twice. And like the five years they've done it, it's so cool. And I wish they did it year round. But I got the idea that they could do another film with it and it would be really cool too. And I thought, they haven't made a ride for Wally. And that would be a perfect one to port it onto. Because the scene would be when Wally and Eve are doing their little dance outside the ship and he's got the uh, um, fire extinguisher. And he's spraying it and they're doing all these twirls and they're going really fast. I mean, in that movie, they're going fast. It would fit beautifully where you could be moving about with them and the dance and they turn this really fast-paced ride with the right music, the Michael Giacchino, I can't say his name, music, with the visuals of them. You know, you put a couple screens around uh, dancing and it would be fucking beautiful. And it would make, I guarantee you make fucking people cry while being a thrill-seeking ride. A thrill-seeking ride that can make you cry would be mind-blowing. I think they should do it. I think they should pay me a million dollars. And, uh, and I'm a genius. And that's, and that's that. So yeah, Disneyland was really, really cool. I mean, what else am I supposed to say? It's Disneyland. Everyone knows. There's not much to say anymore. It's kind of a fact. It's just the happiest fucking place on earth. Even when you inevitably and consistently fight with your brother and your mom about everything. It's still fun as hell. And you get over it because you'll fight in the line and then you ride, uh, whatever, Pinocchio. And you'll be like, oh, hey, I love that movie. I love you guys. Let's go get some food or some shit. And then you fight again. And then the cycle, <laughs> it's the cyclical nature of, of hating your family with a burning passion and loving them because you can't have love without hate and um, you can certainly hate everything you love. So, Disneyland, Loki, Bourdain documentary, 
What do I want to talk about? What else did I watch? I wa- Ooh, I've been going to the New Beverly Theater, the Quentin Tarantino-owned theater, a lot since June, because they reopened, and it's the fucking best. <laughs> I had gone a few times before, but I never really went, and the summer I thought I was going to was last year, so I didn't get to, and now I'm going, and it is amazing. So many great movies to see. I've seen a ton. Got to see Pulp Fiction there. Got to, which was fucked because the week, weekend we went, uh, exactly a week later, Tarantino actually showed up to that screening and I felt like a fucking idiot for, I think I was even over thinking to do that one and I thought, no, I want to do a sooner one so I could see it sooner and I was an idiot because I missed out on seeing the movie with the man himself and I will uh, hate myself forever for that. What an idiotic choice I made. Fuck you, Pascaler. You've ruined my life consistently. So, I saw that, which is amazing. I saw The Great Escape there, which is amazing. Really amazing. Like, that is fucking amazing. What an, what a picture. So, that was great. And then, a few days ago, actually right before I went to Disneyland, I think I saw it the night before. We got out of the theater at, like, 12.30. I got home at 1.30, and I had to be up at 5.30. To, so we could drive so I got like four hours of sleep but it was worth it because we saw the double feature of Alligator and Jackie Brown a Robert Forrester double feature Alligator is cool that one I don't have a lot to say it's kind of a Jaws ripoff but it's funny it's pretty well written Robert Forrester is amazing um, Sydney Lassick car coming Sydney Lassick is in it and uh, he's actually a family friend he was my grandmother's like one of my grandmother's best friends. And I was like three when he passed away. So I never got to meet him. But uh, my mom, my dad, have spent there a long time with him. You know, he took my mom to the Academy Awards in 1996 because he was friends with all those guys, uh, Michael Douglas and them, who produced English Patient because he did uh, uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. So, you know, it sucks I never got to meet him because I bet you we would have talked the shit about it everything i mean he he was like one of the go-to guys for some of the biggest 70s films he was in fucking carry you know yeah i really got screwed out of that one it's always about me but um he was great in it it was really cool because i haven't seen him in a lot of movies so getting to see him in just a random b movie felt really really special i didn't even know he was in it i didn't know until we showed up and i saw it on like the poster that his name was on it uh so that was a fun movie and then Jackie Brown, which is kind of the dark horse in Tarantino's filmography. Maybe Death Proof a little more, but that's one of them where people just kind of watch it and they're like, ah, not as good as Pulp Fiction. It's kind of, it's good, but it's not as best. He could do better. And that's how I felt the first time I saw it when I was like 15. And then I watched it again like four months ago, which is on Showtime. It was just starting. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll watch it. And I sat through the whole thing and I'm like, this fucking rocks. And it went from like, I don't know what I rate, like a seven to like an eight, you know, which uh, the ratings don't really matter. I'm, I always do that. I just, it's fun for me again to kind of see how I feel like, oh yeah, I felt it was a seven. Now it's an eight, but the ratings are stupid. I, I think there are movies that I've rated a six that I think are, I love them. I'll say nothing but great things when they're a six. And then there's movies that I've rated a nine or 10, which I've like, oh, but this thing and that problem, it's like, none of it really matters. It's all feeling based, but it bumped up. I was like, holy shit. This is actually great. And then seeing it in theaters with an audience, it's like, how is this not 
like fucking amazing. Is it one of his best best? No, I still think it's not even top five, but it it's hard it's hard to beat those top five because you got fucking Kill Bill Volume Two and you got Inglorious Bastards and Pulp Fiction and Django Unchained and Once Upon a Time probably. But holy shit, that movie's amazing. It is like his most mature film at a time when it you know he should still be. He should be he should be doing Pulp Fiction too. He should be trying to do that again. That'd be the smart move to make the money. But he went the other way. He's like, I wanna pull back completely. You know, I wanna go 185 to 1. I wanna have instead of a surfer uh, soundtrack, I wanna have a fucking amazing blues funk kind of feel all throughout it. Minus the Johnny Cash song, which is out of place, but uh, respect because, you know, it says something about the character, which is cool because it's a scene, it's Ordell's track that he's listening to. So it says something about Ordell that he's not just into, you know, funk and, and uh, um, like uh, R&B and stuff. He's very mixed. You know, he, he, he's a respect of country music and, and of other... I don't know what I'm saying. I should shut up. But anyway, he's trying to go completely far out from it. And it works. And it really shows the, the, the lengths of Tarantino's talent. That he can have a movie that has a real plot. You know, Reservoir Dogs doesn't really have a plot. Well, it kind of does. It's like, it, it has a goal. Let's find out who the rat is. But Pulp Fiction definitely doesn't have a plot. And I think Kill Bill might have another goal, but it's more about the journey to the goal. Same with Django. I think a lot of, he has a lot of goal movies, but it's not really ever about a plot as much as it's about the characters and just chilling with them. But this movie really has a plot. You know, Jackie's gotta stay out of prison and she's gotta get this money. It's like, it's very, very ordered. There's a structure to everything. And yet, you know, he calls it his hangout movie and it is, it's both. It's amazing. It's like. It's his most plot-heavy, but it's just told through the characters so beautifully that it never even feels that way. It wasn't until the third time I saw it that I was like, oh shit, this is really like a really structured movie. There was a very detailed thing going on with the pacing and the edit. And, you know, when we are revealing information and when we're concealing it and when we're showing something and in the order we're being shown it. And you don't really pick up on that. Because it just feels like a hangout movie for most of it. You're not even thinking about the plot. You're just thinking about, oh, shit, I love this dialogue. It's fucking funny. You know, Samuel Jackson's given one of his best performances. Robert De Niro's kicking ass. Pam Greer is amazing and looks amazing. And Robert Forster's a god. And it wasn't even until, I mean, maybe this is just because I'm an idiot. It wasn't until this feeling that I really realized how involved Max Cherry is from the get with the plan. Like, I think the other time I was watching it, I thought Max was just, I didn't, that guy's going like a, he's going like 90 miles per hour on a fucking empty ass, bro, he's doing it right next to a fire station. I never understand it. I guess just, um, I don't have the thrill of life. I just kind of cruise along at my walking pace. I'll do my seven miles in two and a half hours. I don't need to do it in an hour, guys. I'll cruise on by. 
and I'll talk about movies while I do it. I don't need to go 90. 90 need to go me. Anyway, so yeah. What was I saying? Oh, I thought Max Sherry was just kind of getting clued into what Jackie was planning and she wasn't really expecting him to be there. And he comes in to almost save the day. I thought when he's at the mall and he's watching what she's doing, I thought it was just him showing up. I didn't know he was there working for her. And I didn't know when he shows up to get the bag, he was showing up planned. I thought she might've known he was involved in cluing him in, but it wasn't set up. And again, it's because I'm not really listening to the plot parts. I'm listening to when, you know, she's talking about how, big, how fat her ass is getting and he's talking about quitting cigarettes and, you know, they're talking about the Delphonics. Like, that's what I'm listening to. I think that's what a lot of other people are listening to. And so it's easy to assume, ah, that's the Tarantino movie where nothing happens. And it's because you're distracted by, it's funny, it's like his amazing dialogue. It's almost uh, a negative on this particular movie. I, I don't know if the sound's sounding weird. I'm taking my shoe off because there's a thorn in it. And I just hurt my toe. That didn't feel good at all. That really fucking hurt. So, yeah. I don't know. That, that is a slept-on movie that deserves a reanalysis. And I think it's really just like... And again, maybe it's just me who read it that way the other times, but... I don't know. Whatever it is, I've changed, and I've come to really appreciate that movie more. It's amazing. And it's got one of his best soundtracks, just hands down. I mean, maybe you can say Pulp Fiction still, and Once Upon a Time also has an incredible one, but there's something about the cohesion and also the repetition of it. Because I don't think any of his other films have a repeating uh, motif of a song. And this one does have it with the Delphonics, and it's such a genius way to kind of uh, clue us in to what's going on behind the scenes with Jackie and Max Cherry's relationship that also leads to probably my second favorite ending for a Tarantino film. There's another car coming, so I'm gonna wait for a second while I rub my eye, which you're not supposed to do because it just makes it more infected, but I'm an idiot. Uh, my favorite is probably the once upon a time ending just because it's fucking beautiful. Just the idea of him walking up the gate and it's like the gates of New Hollywood opening to him. And it's also like the gates of heaven opening because those characters are actually dead. And it's also like the gates of iconic or iconicism, whatever you call it, opening to Rick Dalton, like he now begets to be an icon among them. Tarantino, it's kind of self, not righteous, but self-congratulatory that Tarantino's like, oh yes, I've created a, a, a heroic movie icon that can live among these icons. It's, but it's beautiful still. I, I defend because I'm a tool. But Jackie Brown might have my second favorite, just with, we've been building this kiss between Jackie and Max Sherry, and it's so beautiful. And again, I didn't read it the other times that their relationship would go on, that this wasn't the last time, that she was just going to Spain and she'd be back, and she'd just be kind of being his life, and it would be this kind of thing they have. Originally, I used to view it as, this is the final kiss, and then she's off and he'll never see her again. And I think it's partly because I've grown up and I kind of got a little more mature about in my ideas of what a relationship means and uh, what feelings are. 
And so I see it now is, and that's again why it's such a mature ending. Because, you know, a younger guy like Tarantino who maybe hadn't had a lot of relationships would probably see it. A regular guy would see it as the final goodbye and this is the end of the film and this is the very old style of the, the relationship that never could. But this is definitely taking a little more charge. It's like, nope, it's just how it is. And she's going her way and he's going his, but they're going to find their way together again. And it's just the kiss to kind of seal that, whatever you call it there their agreement <laughs> that they care about each other. But the use of the Delphonic song is fucking brilliant. Just the way, you know, he plays it once. And so even the first time he plays it, like when he goes to the record store and he grabs it off the shelf, you're like, okay, yeah, he's clearly following for her. But it's how every time he plays it, it's like every time we hear it, it's like we're seeing him fall harder and harder for her. And it builds this kind of tension where it's like, oh God, I hope she feels the same way. I hope she isn't just using him. And she is kind of. Uh, and she even says at the end, she's like, I hope you don't think I used you. He's like, ah, you know, I'm old enough to, you know, no one's using me, you know, I'm old enough to make my decisions. And it's just all building to this moment. We're like, come on, I hope it wasn't just her using him. I hope she does feel the same way. I mean, he bought, he's been listening to the song just for her. And, and they have the kiss and it's fucking beautiful. And it's not sappy, and it's not, you know, foreshadowed in the way of, like, like the Loki one, where it's like, yeah, you know what's going to happen, and it's just, ugh, you're just waiting for it to happen. It's really kind of surprising, and even if you expected it, it's still surprising that it worked, and it paid off, and there was layers to it. And it's like, it's kind of amazing to come to that realization with Tarantino, where it kind of validates my enjoyment of it a bit more because I've always kind of had to defend it. Where it's like, yeah, I like Carantino and people call me out for it because like when I was 15, the shit I wrote sounded a lot like it. Whether intentional or not, I think it still bleeds in sometimes just because it's so, it's so easy to kind of get drawn into that rhythm and that cool sound. But it, it's nice to know that he, it isn't just a one-time trick. Like, some people might think his work is. Like, oh, yeah, Pulp Fiction's good only the first time, and then it's kind of just like a parlor trick. Like, oh, he was just doing all these cool things and sounding cool, but there isn't really any substance beneath it. But this really proves it, especially. Pulp Fiction does. There's totally a case to make about how that dialogue isn't just cool to be cool. It's actually revealing character, and it's all driven with a specific purpose. And each line isn't just referencing... Fruity Pebbles because, ah, uh, the nostalgia, it's like, no, you're referencing Fruity Pebbles because it says something about, you know, why, saying you like Fruity Pebbles over Cocoa Pebbles inherently says something, just like if a character said, I'm a Democrat over Republican. I mean, that's what's fucking cool about it, is that it says it in a non-fucking, non-fucking, it says it in a way that doesn't feel like you're being spoken down to, or you're being you know, made to feel like you're stupid and the character's smart, it's like, no, they're on the same level as you and you can connect to them in a language that's shared. But with this one especially, what it shows is his writing of his characters isn't just surface level. There is so much beneath it and you really got to study the movie, not study it, but you have to pay attention and really engage with it to find it. It isn't just there, it's underneath and it's really 
you know, it's, it's something you've got to engage with. And I think that was my problem is that with, you know, being 15, I didn't, I wasn't engaging with it. And then it, it didn't hit me as hard as Pulp Fiction because it's not as cool and it's not as flashy. And so I just kind of threw it away. And it wasn't until I was older that I could really, you know, I learned to engage with the film more and I learned to kind of pay attention and uh, really kind of give it, give it its due uh, watch or its viewing, you know. I think that's also probably probably the problem of my second time watching was that I was on my phone for part of it because I felt like, oh, I've seen this movie and I know it. And it wasn't until like later that I really actually started paying attention. I was like, oh, fuck, this is actually kind of good. <laughs> and so it really did take me three times to appreciate it to its full extent. But now it's like, fuck, I got to really rewatch a lot of his stuff because some of them, like Reservoir Dogs, I haven't seen in like, fuck, almost four years. And I haven't seen, I saw Django in, in Glorious Bastards a couple years ago, actually, like 2019. So I have seen those recently and those are hold of golden. But even Death Proof, I'm like, fuck, there's probably something I'm missing in there, you know? The one that everyone shits on. Or not shits on. I think everyone has a soft spot for it because anyone who likes Tarantino is going to probably forgive everything to an extent. I mean, you really, there's a lot to forgive, but it's worth it for, you know, the goods. But uh, I got to go back to that one, too. And other filmmakers I've probably written off as, you know, being less than... I have to kind of go back, or, or maybe the films of theirs that I've written off as less than because I saw them when I was 13 and they didn't do what I wanted them to do. I kind of should go back and reevaluate it and kind of uh, see, or also go back to the ones that I thought were the shit and kind of go back and be like, why did I? Like I did that with uh, um, Midnight in Paris, which not at all related to Woody Allen's whole thing, <laughs> his whole life thing. But just the film itself, I used to I used to have that as one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I kind of watched it again, and I still really appreciate it, and I still think it's fantastic. But I think what it was doing for me then was, uh, was a little more surface level now to me. Kind of, you know, knowing more about Woody Allen, knowing more about what, uh, I guess part of who he is is a part of that, and just the sense of the film and who's writing it, but also just that film feels a little more like the, the allure of, of the 20s and, and having the guy come into the 20s is more than what the film itself is saying, which I don't think it needs to say much, but it just doesn't hit me as hard as it did because I hadn't seen a lot like that. And now seeing a lot of movies that might have inspired some of those choices in Midnight in Paris and also just Woody Allen not, you know, being as fresh in my eyes as I've seen him for so long, it's not as impactful to me. I'd still, you know, I'd probably say Annie Hall, of course, would be a, his better film, but I used to think Midnight Paris was the best. And uh, now, you know, I've, I've gone in and accepted, you know, I slotted Step Brothers into that spot, which seems completely backwards. It seems like it should be, you know, Step Brothers would be the one that I was, I had on the list when I was 13, and then you know, Midnight in Paris would take the spot as like a more cinema, but like I found more from Step Brothers and not even just in like a super cinema way, but just because like I found like, you know, I'm quoting that movie almost daily with my brother. It is such a, a, a touchstone of our relationship. So much of our humor is related to that movie and so much just what, we just have to look at each other. It's like we, we're already thinking about the same fucking scene and we'll just laugh. I mean, what, 
that has to count for something in, in, the, in the ranking of quality in a film. It's just, if that can touch you that much and sustain for f almost 15 years and not get old. I mean, I'll watch that movie tomorrow and I'll still laugh just as hard as I did the first time. It is so fucking funny. That is, I mean, to, to be able to do that is as good as having the most perfect character arc and the most beautifully written monologue and the most perfectly uh, orchestrated long take that is just emotionally moving and, oh, fuck. Did I just, did I just destroy my thing? Hold up. Nope, I think we're good. Let me see. I, I just caught my cord on a, uh, on a branch. Are we good? Are we good? Yeah, we're good. We're good. So, uh, yeah. I guess pat me on the back for finally uh, coming to terms with uh, being just smarter than everyone else and accepting uh, uh, cinema for what it is and not trying to be all snooty about it. Be like, yeah, Step Brothers is one of my favorite movies, along with Goodfellas, along with uh, Back to the Future. I'm so original, guys. No one has those fucking movies on their list. I really do suck at that. I I am so bad. I have like Pulp Fiction, Back to the Future, you know, I might throw Terminator 2 on there, like everything that the worst like runaway from this guy film boy fucking has on his list. That's what I got. And it's been that for like seven years. I just can't change it. I don't think I'm going to be the kind of guy who like uh, every time he sees a new movie, he's like, oh, this is my favorite movie. And like he holds that until the next one. Like I, I know some people like that. And there's definitely a lot of people like on Letterboxd or whatever that are that way. And it's like, that's cool. Like I respect that. Like being able to just be refreshed every time. But I really am like once something's locked in, it's really hard to, to take it out. Like again, Midnight Paris was, was like locked in. I didn't think I was, I was ever going to throw that off. But like I just accepted it. You know, and Goodfellas has been my favorite movie of all time for like 10 years. And like, I've had, I've had so many people be like, that'll change. You know, I, I had that phase too. And I'm like, I, this ain't a phase. It just kind of is who I am. Uh, and you know, I just don't like change. I don't like having to really like change. I don't know. I, and there's something about that. There's something about like sticking to it. Be like, yes. Cause if, if Goodfellas is my favorite movie forever, and that just means I have to constantly go back to it and I have to constantly analyze it and defend it. And it'll just, you know, strengthen my connection to it and it'll just strengthen my ideas on it and it'll strengthen, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll not strengthen, but it'll teach me more. I can glean more from it. And luckily it's a movie that has a lot to fucking learn from. Every time I watch that movie, there's something to learn from. It's a fucking masterpiece. It's my favorite movie. Fuck you if you don't think that's okay. It's okay not to like it. But uh, don't say it's not okay for me to like it. Because um, then you suck. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm looking at my phone. I should just not talk when I'm looking instead of just rambling. Because then I'd say stupid shit like that. Uh, what else did I check out? I think this will be this podcast. Oh, maybe I'll do like a every other thing. Maybe it's like, you know, one podcast is movies and then one is uh, what's going on in the world, political shit. And then one is uh, funny stories. If I even do another one of these. Let's, let's get through one. I think we're 
how far into this one. We're at hour 35 already into this one. Let's just get through this, and then we'll talk about more next time. Uh, what am I doing? Fight Club. I watched that actually same day as Jackie Brown. That's another one where I haven't seen that. I don't think I've seen that since I was like 14. It's been a long time. And uh, I sat down, we watched it, and <sighs> it's hard because I still, let's start off the bat, just so you know, I still think it's great. I still think it's really fucking phenomenal. And I totally am seeing it with a different perspective on it. And I, I've, after watching it, I watched some amazing analysis of it. There was one that was really cool, and I cannot remember the person's name, and I'm awful at that. Let me see if I saved the video of it for in my watch later so I can for sure say who it was. Maggie May Fish. They are so cool. They have some amazing analysis. They also did a great analysis about auteur theory and comparing Kubrick to David Lynch and how they tackle that, which is really smart. But uh, this Fight Club analysis she did was amazing. Or they, I actually don't know. They did. Um, it was amazing because uh, it totally puts a new context. It's basically looking at it as if, no, instead of the movie being Jack inventing uh, Tyler, it's Tyler inventing Jack and using him to convince us that, you know, to justify what he's done and to engage us. I thought it was really an interesting way to look at it. And it's totally plausible. I, I, I honestly think it's plausible that even Fincher saw it that way easily. And it's one of those films where like anyone's interpretation kind of works. I, I wouldn't fault anyone for having really out there ones just because that movie is so non-literal. I was watching it with my girlfriend and the whole time, <laughs> the guys, I got a girlfriend. <laughs> I was watching my girlfriend, guys. I'm so cool. Ooh. I'm not a loser, um, but I was watching with her, and uh, just all throughout, she was kind of just like, hey, can we stop? What? Because she knew the reveal before, and she had like read most of the uh, the, the book before, because she likes to read the, mo the books before she watches the movies, which I hate doing, because then it spoils the movie for me. I'd rather watch the movie. Uh, but I'm uncultured and unlearned, so like, what do I know? But she kept wanting to stop and be like, okay, what is, did that really is, what is this? Why is there the penguin? Why is there, and I'm like, the, none of this is really literal. <laughs> a lot of the things that are happening are really not meant to happen in the context of the film. They are really there for the uh, watcher of the film to glean from. When he's talking about his job and being really unspecific about it, it's not because that guy's on a bike. It's not because He's actually telling that character about his job in that very vague way. It is really just all speaking to us. Every scene is just talking to us, uh, which is nuts. But so that's why it's really one of those movies where anyone's interpretation, anyone's like fan theory works. And also, I'm not a fan of anyone being like, well, Fincher clearly meant this and I know. It's like, well, no, you didn't make the fucking movie. But with this one, I think he kind of designed it in a way where it is kind of that way. It is like... He kind of made the movie from all angles. He made the movie from Tyler's perspective and Jack's perspective. And he made it from, uh, don't remember her name. Oh, Helen Bonham Carter's character. What is her name in that movie? IMDb, help me out. I know it. And once I read it, it's gonna be so 
like obvious Marla, 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 Marla. Yes, Marla's perspective. And also, he totally did not make it from her perspective if you view it from another. And he also totally didn't make it from Tyler's perspective or Jack's. And he did, as, you know, it's because he's a fucking master. He's, he's the fucking king, you know. He, he just asked so many questions of the material. It's why he's one of the few, you know, director only. Like, he literally has never written a screenplay. And there's a lot of directors that are auteurs that mainly only direct, but he really is one of the few that's never written a screenplay and is still an auteur. Because he almost asks more of the material than the writer. He asks more than anyone. You know, he will break it down further. He will go further to where he almost makes it his own without even touching the dialogue. Because he does it all visually and he does it all through aesthetic and through perfection. And um, he's my god. And I bow down to him, and I pray to him every night that uh, Disney Plus will not um, take over the world. Only he can stop them. Him and fucking Netflix, so he's already lost, too. But, uh, okay, so with Fight Club, all that said, and how great I still think it is, and fucking genius, my two gripes with it, and it's not really fair, one of them, the other one is totally fair. First... There's a fucking record scratch at the opening of that movie. And it is hard to, it's like, it is the most fucking obvious, like, look at how cool we are, guys. We got this classic movies we play. Oh, now it's intense. It's a fucking 90s movie, bro. Oh, shit, you know what's going to happen. We just did a record scratch. We can do anything. You think you got cool music playing? Nah, man, we're going to fuck that shit up. We're going to make it all, all wacky. Ooh, we're so, like... That was lamer than the record scratch, my fucking making fun of, making fun of it, but uh, it is really horribly lame. <laughs> it does not work. And it definitely wasn't, it, you can say it's ironic, like, oh, they did a record scratch ironically, but like, the joke isn't even funny that it's ironic. It is just a bad choice. And the other issue I have is just how, just how 90s it is, I don't know. And again, that's not the movie's fault, but like, just I think because we are so removed from that era, we're 22 years on from that movie came out, the irony of everything is just kind of exhausting a little bit. And again, that's the point of the movie, but it's the same way I feel about watching Seinfeld sometimes. And that's the same, I, I appreciate the hell of Seinfeld, and I still think it's fucking hilarious. But it's like, man, does everything have to be ironic? Can we not have a single genuine moment at all? You know? It really is like, you just gotta be in that mood. You gotta be in a, yeah, I fucking, I don't want, I don't want any genuine anything. I don't want any joy of any kind. I just want fucking suffering the whole time. And that's the movie you gotta be in for Seinfeld, and that's the movie you gotta be in for this. And again, both work phenomenally, but I just can't put it on at any moment now, like I can with, like, comparing Seinfeld to, like, The Office, right? That is, has so many genuine moments that, like, the irony's still there and, like, the making fun of it is still there, but it still has, it still has a fucking heartbeat. And I don't think Fight Club has a, it is a fucking corpse that is being dressed up to sell you something. And again, that's the point. So it, you can't fault it for that. But I still, does it have the same replay value that something like you know another Fincher film might have 
like a social network or a uh, or a Gone Girl, which Gone Girl I think does the Fight Club feeling phenomenally because it does it is so I wouldn't say ironic, but it is so just limp and a corpse dressed up. That whole movie feels like a corpse, just this fucking dead relationship, dead person, just like gross, eerie, you know, shell of a thing. But what Gone Girl has is realism of some kind. There is a reality to the relationship and a reality to how the media and everyone treats it. Whereas Fight Club is so exaggerated and so deep into the meta nature and the 13 layers of irony that you can't connect to it at all. You can connect to the ideas it's portraying, the ideas of masculinity, of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the, the suggestions of homosexuality that aren't really there, which also, if the movie had had Jack and uh, Tyler fuck or something, like, bro, that would be the best movie ever made, oh my god. Same with Loki, it's the same thing with Loki, it's like, they didn't go far enough, right? But, again, it is, it is a part of the 90s, and you still gotta appreciate it, just like how, you know, look, there are moments in Citizen Kane that I feel are not my favorite, but, like, that's how they fucking made movies back then, you know? Some of those dissolves don't really work, and I, I would rather a straight cut on those, but you accept it as a product of the time, and... Fight Club is definitely part of the time, and luckily it's good, no, not good, it's great enough to where you can forgive some of that, and especially if you're in the right mood and the right mindset, at least for me. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are still pretty cynical and uh, appreciate that irony, but I think mainly because I, God, I keep doing that, uh, I keep fucking burping, I'm disgusting, because I didn't grow up in the 90s, I was very much a product of the early 2000s, so I had a much more genuine era of media. You know, I was post uh, fucking uh, um, David Foster Wallace, and I was post Seinfeld, as I said, and I was post, uh, uh, oh my God, what's the thing? It's on the tip of my tongue, and I don't have it, and I lost it. It's gone. But, like, I was of the era of, like, funny to say but jackass like that talk about a genuine show that is fucking the most genuine thing ever like what's more genuine than a guy actually getting hurt horrifically you know that is real and uh and then obviously the office and uh just the the current cinema of sad white boy that is you know genuine to itself is it accurate or is it very uh, is it very um, engaging to everyone that isn't a little sad white boy? No, but the person that made it definitely has a genuine feeling about what they're making and they aren't making fun of the plight of the white boy. So, you know, because I come from that generation and that era, I definitely feel like I, I'm watching Fight Club at a little bit of an arm's length, but I'm still, you know, it's still so good, I, I appreciate it enough to still love it and want to watch it. It's not like someone's, and it's not like I'm just watching it because someone else wants to. I'm genuinely interested and I want to learn more from it. Yeah, I don't know what else to say.
kind of just uh, said it all. What else? Is that it? Is that all the notes I wrote? I hope not. Let me see. Is there anything else? Uh, oh, okay, good. <laughs> Thank God. I was really worried I was going to have to start getting into like this searching up Twitter time. Uh, I watched one more thing. Evening with Tim Heidecker. That was amazing. That same person I mentioned, uh, what was their name? May something fish. Maggie May Fish. They had another video. I really got into them. Like they just have like these really great analysis, 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 analysis. Um, they did it of this Rob Schneider, Tim Heidecker paradox, because Tim Heidecker released one of the most amazing comedy specials of all time. That's, you know, when I said earlier that WandaVision should have done the the Andy Kaufman route, I really should be saying the Tim Heidecker route, because I think he's taken what Kaufman did, but mastered it well beyond what he could have ever achieved just on television, just what Tim Heidecker has done through fucking everything, every form of media. I, I don't know if he's written books, but he's probably written some of the funniest fucking books in character, I'm sure. But this special, uh, and even with Tim Heidecker, is genius. It's just it's a total dismantling of hack comedy and where comedy kind of used to be and where those comedians still live and are crawling to stay relevant while comedy is kind of in this really, really big resurgence and uh, renaissance. Like we are in a golden age of stand-up and of just comedy in all forms. Comedy in film, comedy in television, and you know, comedy on the web, I guess, is getting better. I still have a weird feeling about web comedy and, like, TikTok comedy. But even then, there are some gems on TikTok that, like, it's just, like, it's shit you could have never done on any form, and it actually is hilarious. The five people I think are actually funny on TikTok make that fucking site or app. Site. It's not like I'm fucking 39. No, that doesn't, that doesn't work. I can't say, you can't say anything younger than, like, 62 now because like people in their late 30s are like the they're the ones that are like the most you know technologically equipped like they're the ones that are using it to make trillions of dollars so i'm wrong there is like, what am i 62 anyway um yeah his special is incredible he he just spends an hour bombing so hard and never falters and never is not, he finds a new way to make the bombing hilarious. He doesn't, car, he doesn't make it just like, yeah, I'm gonna bomb because the joke fell flat and the audience didn't laugh. He'll find a new way to bomb, whether it's yelling at the fucking guys to turn the music off, whether it's just like, pretending like he's gonna do some improv off-the-cuff stuff and then just sneak his notes in to like read them and go on the cue cards like it's just he, he attacks these hacks at all angles and I love it and again it's not just ironic it's genuine he's genuinely making a point he isn't just doing this for the laugh of oh let's make fun of it he's like he's looking into something about the state of comedy and commenting on the fr the, fr the fragileness 
of ego and you know how you put on <laughs> you put on that leather jacket to act like you're still relevant like you were in 1995 and uh and his fly was down for half of the special which was genius absolutely genius <laughs> because i didn't even fucking notice it i didn't even notice it until someone pointed out and i'm just like like he must have just like done it in between a cut because like i don't know if the audience was in on the joke or not i hope they weren't they must not have been knowing kind of how he works but i don't know if he like if he told them guys i'm gonna pull my fly down don't worry about it or if he just snuck it in somehow without them noticing but yeah but going back to this whole rob schneider and tim Mackey paradox it's like it, it then looks at rob schneider's recent special which i had watched the first five minutes of when it first came out and i thought i i can't and then it's amazing just how accurate heidecker's bits and their structure are to snyder's to be fair snyder at least you know has you know, compared to the persona that Tim Heidecker is playing in that special, uh, Rob Schneider actually has real comedic chops. Like, he, he is funny. He can be funny. <laughs> and he has been funny in the past. He has a potential. And so his jokes do have a real comedic formula, and they have a regular structure, and, like, they can be funny to someone. Uh, whereas Heideckers are just completely flat, and they fall apart in a very structured way, but still way worse than Rob Schneider's do. But just the attempts and the, the, the types of jokes he is saying and, and the, the, uh, the way he even just stands is so exact. There's no way he couldn't have been inspired by that Rob Schneider special. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And then I was watching Real Rob, which is Rob Schneider's show, which is also talked about in that analysis. And... Wow. We're going to go off topic to that now because that, that has a, that's a whole long conversation <laughs> that I'll keep short. But if you haven't seen Real Rob, watch it. It's incredible. It is self-finance, an auteur project of Rob Schneider, written, directed, produced, starring, and obviously finance. And it is, the first season's just bad, in my opinion. It is just bad. It's not funny. It's horribly shot and colored and they fucking have the lights on when they're going to bed like this is fully on people's like pretending to sleep and some of the worst music and transitions and and uh drone shots ever first season bad second season though wow what a beautiful beautiful arc of well, I guess the arc, it's not really an arc, but it is a beautiful examination of this relationship between Rob and his assistant, who is just brutally tortured, literally, not even a joke, brutally tortured by Rob throughout the show. Rob, in one episode, this is just one episode, forces him to drink cat poop coffee. Or actually, as, as they specifically state in the show, it is, uh, it's... Not just cat poop, it's cat ass poop. <laughs> As opposed to cat, you know, uh, tongue poop or cat uh, urethra poop. And he makes him fucking drink 
He makes him drink the coffee made with the coffee beans that came out of the cat's shit. And then he just he just makes him he's like he tastes good for no reason. And then the guy just says, I don't know, he says something dumb. And he's holding up this coffee bag. And then Rob just punches him in the face through the bag, completely breaking the bag. Like cuttings everywhere. And just socks him in the face. And then the next fucking scene, the guy's got bruises and a bandage. And Rob just comes and is like, uh, I need you to print that script for me. And he's like, oh, okay. So he prints it out. He's like, he hands it to him. He's like, read it to me. Read me the script. Like a fucking villain. And this guy is the lead. And he is never, Rob is never really portrayed as like a bad guy. He's portrayed in a kind of Larry David way where it's like, oh, he's just so stubborn. And, but, but more than Larry David, he's still meant to be likable. Real Rob is meant to be likable and a guy you root for. But then he has these scenes throughout the show where he's just horribly torturing his assistant. And it's incredible because it is like this amazing origin story for like when the assistant snaps. Like that movie, uh, Swim with the Sharks with Kevin Spacey. And just for that, it's worth watching because <laughs> he each episode is progressively more horrific and just the fact that Rob wrote that and obviously wasn't writing it like oh I'm going to uh I'm passing over a car I hope he doesn't hit me we're good I think I started that walk across the street a little late I got scared because that guy wasn't slowing down but I, I lived but Rob is writing it very genuinely. He's like writing, like, no, this is funny. Ah, I'm making me cat poop. And he's invertly creating one of the most incredible villain origin stories I've ever seen. Real Rob, season two, absolute masterpiece. Must be, it is required viewing for anyone who claims to love cinema. Period. What are we at? 5.6 miles. We are almost there. We are almost two hours into this. I can't believe I actually did it. I was really, really scared I wasn't going to have enough to talk about. <laughs> I was going to have to reach pretty hard. That's kind of everything on my list that I, re I actually, I wrote a couple other things, but I don't really want to talk about them because they're not as interesting. They're not as current. And uh, obviously my audience that I've built over this one episode, all three million of you, know that I am a man who only focuses on the current and the now and the hip because I'm just that kind of guy. I'm always in it. I'm always with it. And I'm really just making shit up right now as I go on Twitter and I look up what's going on in the world. Uh, fuck. I don't want to end this early because that's lame. I, I said I was going to, you know, it's, it's my nightly walks. Oh God, oh shit, I won't. Now, I guess it has to be the title now. Because I wasn't for sure confirmed with myself that that was the title. But I said it here and I'm not cutting. So, you know, I made some rules. I was like, I'm not going to cut. I'm going to talk for my entire walk. And some other third rule. And so uh, now that's, that's, I'm not cutting it, so that's the title now. But I don't want to cut early. I, I want to go for the full seven today. But maybe I'll just go for six miles today and just be like, oh, seven is the goal. I mean, I, I say six to eight, right? So, like, in that span. But unless I can think of something actually interesting to talk about today, I don't know what to do. 
What was that voice? It's a dumb person voice. Not a dumb. I'm I'm the dumb person. Oh, cans. Well, oh, yeah, that's actually a good thing to talk about. Cans happen today. Or cons. I don't know how you're supposed to, which way it goes. But uh, that was interesting. Because uh, Spike Lee kind of pulled a, pulled an Oscars 2016. <laughs> or actually, I guess it's more accurate that he pulled an Oscars 2021, considering that they did the best picture before best actor and actress, which is kind of gross um just how they they really were playing on the idea of Chadwick winning and then he didn't and it just kind of felt look my my whole thing with that we're getting out top again but my whole thing with that is I get it it's like okay well we know the winners and we can't tell anyone only two people know it's the two guys from that accounting thing and I, I get it I get it you know there's some legal things there but you had the widow of the guy go to this fucking award show thinking he's gonna win and that's the only reason she's there, right? Is because she's, you know, she knows he's going to win. If you have counted them, and you're the two people that know he didn't win, know that Anthony Bourdain, or Anthony Bourdain, and the Ottomans won. And also, they're going to be talking about her husband the whole night. Don't you think it would have been respectful to just make this one exception, to go to her before the night and say, listen, we're not telling you who won, but it might be in your best interest to not go for your own mental stabilities, mental health. To not sit there through all this just for your husband to lose. <laughs> for your, you know, deceased husband to fucking lose. That's all I'm saying. You know? And for them to push that all the way to the very end, being so sure he's going to win, and then Anthony Dopkin, also the fucked up shit of Anthony Dopkin's not being allowed to show up to the awards because of the whole... COVID doesn't exist anymore narrative they seem to be, be pushing with it and not allowing people to wear masks in the audience. It's just so fucked up. You know? It's not like Anthony Hopkins was pulling a Maggie Smith and just didn't want to show up. He, like, he wanted to fucking be there. And so he has to, and then he's put on the fucking, he's put on the fucking uh, chopping block by all the millennials who are like, oh, how could... He, you know, he's the white guy who wins, and he didn't, you know, his movie fucking sucked, though most of them probably didn't even see the fucking movie. And, you know, all because they put him in that position. They made, he didn't choose to, one, not show up for the award, and to have himself be the last category. And he also didn't choose to fucking win. There's no way Anthony Hopkins, and no way Anthony Hopkins thought he was going to win. It was a really bad move. And so avoidable. It's not like the 2016 one where they made a mistake. It was really just a mistake. This was a conscious choice that backfired so horrifically. And I wouldn't be surprised if the people in charge are not asked to come back. But we'll see. I think, I think Steven Soderbergh directed that one or something. So, I mean, maybe he'll be brought back because I will say I did love the look of it. I know a lot of people complained, but I thought the way they shot it and the way they had the camera continuity and still, you know, shooting on the thirds was fucking amazing. Just like actually making these presentations feel like scenes and like almost like a dialogue. Really cool. And it brought something to a usually stale looking show that just looks like every other uh, fucking award show, but it actually looked like a movie, which is what the movie 
award show should look like, and I really hope they keep that aesthetic. Okay, now you guys are really loud. Are those crickets or are those something else? <laughs> I like something else, not cicadas. I think they're really, really, really loud. Maybe those are crickets. Um, Spike Lee, cans. He, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but the man, I guess he was supposed to just present like short film award or something. He comes up and says, all right, first award of the night, Palm d'Or goes to, wait, no, stop. And he just reads it. And, and then they just don't talk about it. They're just like, they just kind of let it go like that happened. And then they're like, oh, and okay, we're going to keep moving on. And then he, and then he gets up to present another award. And he does it again. He's like, and the palm door goes to, no, 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 Spike, wait, you're not supposed to. And I can tell he's confused because I'm sure he was, I'm sure there was miscommunication with the woman who was hosting and her being like, all right, Spike, go up. And then him thinking now it's time because obviously if he messed up once, now is time to do it and not realizing it was more time for him just to, I guess, apologize for what he said wrong. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's so horrible that he fucked it up twice. One time, I definitely think it was his fault, and the second time, I, I don't think it's as much his fault. But look, you know, the 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 people of Titan, I think, is the movie that won. They they took it, they took it well, and they're like, well, you know, it's nice that, in a way, it's better that it happened this way because it makes it more special. And then Spike kind of did it well. He's like, look, you know, it's my fault. I fucked up, and that's how it is. But it just, it just seems so av- avoidable. I just feel like the problem is so many of these are just not well planned. They kind of just like think. Well, we've been doing it for seven years. We never had a problem now, so we can just fly easy. And it's like when you get too comfortable with your award shows, that's when fucking trouble happens. That's, that's the whole thing with the 2016 one is that the guy was on Twitter. He wasn't fucking paying attention because he's like, ah, this, this show basically runs itself. You know, we've been doing it for 90 years. I, I certainly am not going to be the one to make the issue. I, I'm, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And then he fucks it up. They got to, you know, they get too complacent. They really got to pay attention. Otherwise... You literally ruin someone's, and of course, well, boo-hoo, a really, really successful filmmaker, their award got announced a little early, but like, it is kind of, you know, you're, it's a dream moment, and for it to be kind of crushed in a way, under some form of controversy, just, over, you know, that the, the presenters overshadow your win, that kind of sucks, and the fact that your win will always be clouded by you know, something hard. And at least this one was a little less bad. It's not as bad as Anthony Hopkins win. It certainly isn't as bad as, you know, the, the Moonlight win. Although that's not a bad win. I'm just saying that has to be tied to it. Sucks. Like this one, you know, it's also cans. No one fucking cares <laughs> except for idiots like me who like, you know, want to pretend like they're even going to see half the movies that were there. I'm not going to fucking, I'm not going to see a hero. I'm not cool. I haven't even seen a prophet. How am I supposed to see a good movie like a hero? I'll see Red Rocket because that looks amazing. I love Sean Baker, but I'm not going to see a French movie. What? I'm American. I'm not going to watch French. French? That's another language. They have little, like, I don't want to read while I watch a movie. Are you, are you kidding me? I, I paid you money to speak to me. I'm not going to pay money to have to read a book. I, if I wanted to read a book, I'd spend the money to read a book. I'd audiobook it so I could drive while I do. I don't want to. I'm sitting here to look at a screen and just not even pay attention. I want to look at a screen and go blank and have to, and not even have to engage. 
that's why Space Jam 2 is my favorite movie of the year. And, uh, and it, it should win all the awards. Now I'm just being mean because I'm trying to, I'm trying to fill up time. Six miles. We are getting close. And this is running long. And I don't want to overstay my welcome with a two and a half hour opener, but I guess that's how we're going to go. I mean, I think next time, I, now I know how much I need to prepare. I, I was originally thinking I could maybe do this bi-weekly. I, I, I'm thinking now this might just be a weekly one for a bit uh, until I can get good at it. And then maybe it'll become a more often one. And maybe even then it'll be less often than that because it just takes a lot to have to talk and do it consistently. And I don't want to deal with that. So maybe this will be once a year. <laughs> that would be great. Oh, man. Imagine just having to work once a year. Just like clock in, and they pay you $100,000 to do one thing. I mean, that's basically like a, who, who would work once a year? What's something you would do once? What's a job? You only got to do it once a year. There's got to be one. There's got to be someone. Hmm. Oh, you know, here's an even better one. Once every four years. Imagine being the freaking... The, the guy at the, the Olympics with the, the torch. Although, no, I think that's a different person in every place. Actually, that doesn't work. But, but what if it was? Could you imagine once every four years they pay like $100,000? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Oh, the Oscars people, I guess, only work once a year in a way. I mean, it's a little bit longer. It's probably like a whole month. But even then, like imagine only having to work once a month or one month a year. And then fucking being so bad. You only have to work once, one month a year, and you fuck it up. It's like three years in a row, guys. How? How do you do that? It's one month. If a nurse fucked up for one hour, they would, they would kill 20 people. You can't, you can't be perfect for one month? I'm really pushing it here. <laughs> I'm just getting meaner. I think when I have nothing to talk about, I just get mean. That, that definitely says something about who I am, that I just like fucking spew vile when I, when I don't have something planned in front of me. God, I would be a horrible, <laughs> I'd be a horrible podcaster because <laughs> I, I am just awful. God, every noise is scaring me. I'm walking around this industrial area and it's like, because no one's here. So it's like, if there's a noise and I don't see an animal, is it a person or am I going to fucking be killed? So, I mean, at this point, I've walked this route for, like, the last three months consistently. Like, at least three days a week. So, someone knows. Someone must know the route I take and the times I take it. And they're just waiting for that perfect moment to just come out. And then I'm, I am, I am in a pie being cooked at 350 for a, a family of cannibals to eat and enjoy uh, with a side of my blood milk. Maybe I should end it there. Maybe I should end early. And just leave you with that image. Too high. And then, if I never make another podcast again, you'll be like, oh my god, is that actually that? I mean, I guess, man. Hope it was delicious. I hope it was enjoyed. Fuck, my foot's hurting. Damn it. That happens sometimes. Especially probably because I came back from Disneyland. My foot is just killing me. 
I should just make it to home. I mean, I'm not that far. I'm probably a quarter mile. I can at least get 6.5 and call it a day. And I mean, I'm really, I'm like, I'm not doing this for anyone. No one's expecting me to, I mean, no one's holding me to the standard. I don't even think I was holding myself to the standard until I decided while I was doing this. There is no, like, standard. It's whatever I want it to be. Fuck it. But I get that way. I, like, commit to it. And I'm like, no, if it's not this way, then it's not worth doing. Every time I take out my Zoom, I'm really worried. I'm, like, rattling it and making it sound terrible. All right, we're at... I have enough battery. We're at 2.15 or something. Maybe we can do... Hopefully by 10, 10 minutes from now, we'll be out. Let's see. There's got to be something to talk... Oh, Bismarck, he passed away. That was sad. I liked him. I mean, everyone liked him. Dude, he was on Yo Gabba Gabba. Like, how fucking cool is that? Dude was on Yo Gabba Gabba, teaching kids about, you know, parties in your tummy and shit. What a badass. What a legend. What an actual legend. Because he wasn't, like, trying to be fake and be like, oh, I'm still... You know, I'm like, a, you know, I'm a fucking thug and I, I kill people still and I do, you know, I deal drugs. Like, he wasn't trying to live a fake life. He's just like, you know what? She's just a friend and I'm just a kid's TV host or side host. I don't even think he did it for a while. I don't even think he did it for that long. But, like, that's just really cool that he did that. I like that. I like being honest. I like honesty. I think that's where we've come to the conclusion in this episode is that I prefer honest media at least whenever I can get it and I, I can still appreciate irony and uh, I don't even think I'm using it correctly I don't even think irony is exactly the word I should be looking for but I appreciate it nonetheless and I keep getting myself into these moments where it'd be perfect to end and I just I'm not I can't I can't do it at least for this one. I think in the future, I will just end it when I want to, but I want to commit to the first one really being the full go. I'll do 6.5. I mean, it's already not technically the full go because I said seven originally. So I'm just a fucking liar. Uh, what's happening in the world today? Well, not even in the world, in the movie world. Seth Rogen explains how the surprise Paul Rudd massage was truly... That was cool, actually. That was interesting. I love Paul Rudd. He's funny. That is a very rare statement. I don't think a lot of people know that that guy is actually really funny. And and he's cool. I think I'm one of the only people that really is a big fan of him. I think a lot of people hate Paul Rudd. But I'm one of the cool guys, you know. And like, you know what, funny fact, I don't think anyone's, I would think I'm like one of the five people that's ever seen Ant-Man, you know? No one's seen that movie, except me. I am a soul, Paul Rudd, Stan, and uh, you know, this is how I am. I'm just, I'm just a rebel like that. Ooh, YouTuber buys $6 million Arcadia Mansion respect you know if you can if you can use the internet to make six million dollars like no one can say shit i talk shit a lot about like all those people like the youtubers and stuff but like 
end of the day, if you're able to use YouTube to make the amount of money a, a business owner would have, and you're, you're literally just like not even getting out of your fucking, you're literally in your apartment. You can do, you know, you, know, you, you can literally, literally have the best fucking life and do it. Like, like you have to respect. If you don't have to respect how they do it, that's how I always feel. You don't have to respect how they do it, but you gotta respect that they even did it. That, like, especially, that's how I feel with the Kardashians. I was actually just having this conversation. I don't respect the fame they have, right? I don't respect how they got the fame and how they maintain it, and I don't, I don't love what they've done to reality television and what they've done to celebrity and what they've done to social media. I hate, in fact, I hate it. But I respect that Kris Jenner is a fucking genius. Like a, a, a serious, almost like maniacal genius. The way she's cultivated this like, cult of personality of that whole family is incredible. She, she turned nothing into everything. She's like, like, they really were nothing. They were just fucking regular people. And like, the, the only thing is like, yeah, their dad defended OJ and uh, their mom was the most, one of the most famous track stars ever. It was nothing about Chris and it was nothing about her daughters. And she turned that into the most important thing. That guy's loud. Turned into the most important thing to ever happen to media. I mean, name any name name a fucking name bigger than them right now. For still, their show's ten fucking years old, and all you ever hear about is them. And it wasn't even just a one. It, each generation is progressively more famous. There's a time now where people don't even. I don't. I don't even think there are definitely teenagers who don't even know who Kris Jenner is, but they know who Kylie Jenner is. Like that. She she's passed on the fame. Massive respect. And I still kind of hate her, you know? I don't know. You have to respect that level of dedication. She just... Bro, what are you doing? It is 2 a.m. You're in a residential. Like, why? Who cares? Who? Why do you have to drive? Why do you have to drive? Period. Why, why does everyone have to drive? I don't know. I sound like I'm... I sound like my mom. <laughs> That's, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You just gotta, you have to appreciate the sacrifice. Like, it really is a sacrifice. You're sacrificing your life, your public image, you're just, your mental. Like, I think there must have been a point where she realized, like, I'm not gonna even think the same anymore. Like, you can't. It's impossible. When you get to that level of fame and power, Maybe she craved it. Maybe she wanted it all along, and she was just like waiting for it to be unlocked. But like, you're just you you are accepting the fate that you are going to basically cocoon yourself and emerge as something new. And like that is a price to pay, whether you want it or not. You still have to come to terms. That's what's going to happen if you get to that level, and and you are going to be hated and be considered fucking vile by so many. But if you're dedicated and you want it, like she clearly did and they clearly did, like, and you're willing to accept a loss of, I wouldn't say dignity, that's a little mean, but a loss of 
proper value, right? I think their value isn't, isn't the same as someone a little more like a Tom Hanks, right? You know, there's a different value there. I think they have obviously more value, but it's not as valuable in a traditional sense. Now I'm just talking about nothing. What am I talking about? I'm trying to sound intelligent and it doesn't work. I'm probably really grating and really obnoxious and I'm so sorry. I will do better. <laughs> Maybe that's one of the things this can do for me. If I just talk out to no one, if I'm not even talking to a friend, because I feel like if I'm talking to a friend, I'll feel a little more excuse because they're not telling me to shut up. But I'm just talking to myself and I just have to hear myself speak for two and a half hours out loud rather than just in my own head. I can really hear how fucking stupid I sound and what I have to change. And there's, a, there's two cars coming and it's a semi truck. That's funny, the semi truck was less loud than a regular car. That's interesting. I wonder why. Maybe it's the size and like the wind gets dispersed more because of the size of the little cars more at my level and so the wind sound is more hitting me or something. We're almost there guys. If you're sticking through it, I really appreciate it. Cause you, re you must really have nothing to do. Or you're like doing, what the fuck was that? Something moved, man. This is, I'm almost home, thank God. Because <laughs> I am getting a little spooked. There was no coyotes today, which is nice. There's usually one or two walking around. I, I'm not too scared of them usually because they stay on the other side of the street and I, I already got my kick stance prepped. If they're come, they come up to me, man, it's over for these hoes. I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really kick a coyote. I'd run very, very fast <laughs> away and probably make some noise so they get scared. Cause I, I hear that coyotes are more scared of you than they are, than they're more scared of you than you should be of them. But I, I don't want to be the one to test that theory, which I, I, I think it's just a theory. Cause the people that have theorized that are still alive. And I think it's because they haven't actually tested it. I think the people that have tested it, haven't been able to come back uh, to confirm because they're fucking dead. Uh, because a pack of coyotes ate them alive. Okay. We actually might hit seven. We're at 6.75 or 6.71. Um, and we definitely are gonna hit two and a half hours. And I just have to think of one last thing. What is one more thing I can talk about? Come on. Come on, Skyman. Come on, dumb fuck. Imbecile. Waste of airtime. See, the problem is I, I get my news from Twitter and I get my news from IMDb TV. I mean, like, no wonder I'm not worldly. No wonder I don't know what's going on on anything. It's because everything that's recommended to me is <laughs> the dumbest shit. Man, I'm negative today. Why am I so negative? I think it's just a reflection of myself. I think I'm just reflecting how much I think I'm messing this up. And so I like to put that on everything else. and be like, oh, well, Twitter's messing up too and IMDb. So it's less on me just being bad at hosting something and bad at just like being engaging and like oh no it's also kind of this thing's fault and it's you know if I refer to myself as stupid and that is stupid the you know it kind of lessens the amount on myself 
Um, space race. Okay. I saw I got an ad for the Omaze Richard Branson thing where if you like donate five dollars, you get fifty entries to get. You know, if fifty entries to like the lottery of you might be able to get a spot on his space thing. And it sounds idiotic, right? It's it's absolutely gambling. But one, it's going to a charity of some kind. I, sh- I should probably look up what charity it is before I put $5 in. But the other thing is, and I'll let this car pass before I get scientific on you, is that it's like, a, I think one of those tickets is like $28 million or some shit, like something so ridiculous. So it's like, okay, if it's $5, to go into a $28 million chance, and the odds are clearly much less than the lottery. Like, the lottery is way less odds because, or odds are way higher than the lottery because the lottery is so much larger. I don't think there's as many people going on Omaze and donating. Plus, you get 50 entries instead of just one, right? The lottery is one ticket, one entry. It's, or if you did $5, it'd be five entries, right? This is 50 on, on the $5. And with $28 million, a value there like plus just without even that value just the the the, the uh, social value of being a person that got to go to space I kind of be an idiot not to put the money in you know it's only five bucks and the potential like okay yeah I lost five dollars or I gained one of the most incredible experiences ever so maybe I'll do it but then also then I worry about being branded some asshole because I'm supporting the billion the horrifying capitalist billionaire structure that we're living in, you know, and the, the, I'm supporting this space race that is dumb and we should be focusing on feeding the homeless. And I get it. I, I kind of agree, but also space. Imagine going to my 10 year high school reunion. It's coming up. That's no, not coming up. What am I? It's not coming up It's years away, but if I go to it, and I can show up and everyone's like, oh yeah, man, like, you know, I, I'm famous DJ or some shit. Oh, I am making $5 million a year on my OnlyFans, which would be amazing. Like, much respect to that. I wish I had the confidence to do that. But I'd be a failure, right? I'd be, oh yeah, I'm fucking film bullshitter who bullshits about film. But I hate to say, I went to fucking space. I win. Instantly I win. None of them are going to go to fucking space. Because we are not going to be, this isn't going to be commercially viable for a long time. And I don't care how rich any of those people I used to go to school with. I don't think any of them are going to be able to waste $28 million on a space ticket. But I'll be the guy that went. And then, it doesn't matter what I, oh, you guys want to hear about when I met the president or the thing? No. We're all hanging around with Skyler. He's telling us these crazy space stories. And he was only up there for 10 minutes. And yet for so- somehow he has an hour and a half worth of space stories. It doesn't make sense, but the guy actually went there. So we have to listen. So, so that's the plan. So I'll, I'm working on that. That's, uh, that's, my big, that's my big ticket item there. It's my, it's my backup plan in case becoming rich and successful doesn't work out in the next few years. Or I don't become a crypto multimillionaire, which is still the hope. Where are some? I need to knock on some wood really quick about that one. Every time I bring it up, I always. I'm really Jewish and really superstitious, so I have to knock on wood and 
do a little cross your fingers, you know, make like a hashtag with your fingers and blow through it. Because if you don't, then something bad's gonna happen. So there's some wood. Knock, knock, knock. Are we good? No. Oh shit. <laughs> I woke up a, woke up an animal, a dog. Why would I say an animal? I know it's a dog. I sound so stupid when I say stupid things. He's mean and scary. Um, yeah, so we are almost there. We are literally minutes away from this nightmare from ending. And we are just about to hit seven miles. So I wasted like a good 15 minutes complaining about not doing what I basically just did. Complaining that I wasn't going to do it. When I had nothing to complain about at all. Um, I guess I'll wrap it up by saying this was really fun. And even if I don't do another one of these ever, and this is just some experiment that'll live on Spotify or whatever, um, and go nowhere, and maybe my mom will listen in the first five minutes and be like, oh, that's nice, honey. It's really, that's really something. I'm glad you're finally doing something with your life <laughs> for a minute, and then go back to doing nothing. Or some, this mech, this could show up on someone's like cringe compilation and uh, luckily, I don't think I said my name yet, so I can keep my name off this, and then <laughs> no one will know, and I can like hide away from that, because that is a, God, I'm going uphill again, so now. <laughs> I'm breathing heavy. Oh, that's so gross. I hate it so much. I don't know. Okay, we hit seven miles. Good job to me. Oh, I'm so fucking out of shape. <laughs> This is so bad. I can't even walk a minute uphill without getting just the heaviest breathing. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Almost there. Almost at my door. Uh, thanks again for checking this out. And who knows, maybe we'll look back on this in five years and be like, can't believe that was episode one. Now he's, <laughs> now he's doing the podcast in space with his co-host Richard Branson. It'd be pretty cool. Um, all right, that's about it. And um, witty sign-off remark. <laughs>